Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, and we are so excited to have Chanel Curry, um, founder and CEO of Media Done Responsibly, a media and digital literacy organization that works to amplify humanity centered and socially responsible media. She is also a professor of TV, film, and media studies, journalism, and Pan-African studies at California State University, Los Angeles. Uh, she is the director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion as a Global Digital Wellness Collective and is a founding member of the Black Women Leaders of Los Angeles Coalition. Chanel provides media literacy education, digital citizenship training, inclusion strategies, and internship placement for youth creators of humanity-centered media. She is the executive director of Media Done Responsibly Virtual Film Festival, which is why we are talking this morning, (laughs) which had its launch last week, and it's going to continue through March, I think, 11th, right, 2021? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so you... So you haven't really, really missed it because, you know, with this digital platform, you can go back and sometimes catch up. Um, And that's the case for this particular film festival. Not always, but you're lucky this time. And uh, (laughs) Chanel also produces the MDR Awards to recognize and amplify filmmakers, songwriters, artists, and media agencies that incorporate social responsibility into their principles, policies, practices, and platforms. So welcome, um, Chanel. And, and let's first, let's like let folks know, let's do a disclaimer. Like, we go back. Like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> Mother's Day Radio yes. and all of those wonderful yes. events you had in Los Angeles <laughs> that, you know, honor and celebrate, you know, our our greatness as a people and also sort of connect yes. us to our ancestors and to a lineage of a wonder and wonderfulness, mm-hmm. if there's a word, you know, despite, mm-hmm. you know, the trauma and other kinds of things we have to work through. And I'm thinking right now of that beautiful film about these, you know, with these black women sort of reflecting on what does it mean to be underhoused and unhoused mm-hmm. on Skid Row mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. California. And that beautiful young woman who says she doesn't want to make her life you know, her work be about her people's um, uh, 
suffering, right? She wants to, like, work yes. herself out of a job. What's her name? She was really wonderful. It, uh, you're talking about defining ourselves for ourselves um, for the yes. film by yes. Zori Petrus. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. wonderful student filmmaker. And let me just start off by saying thank you, Wanda. It's good to reconnect. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) We started going down memory lane, and I was like, wow, we did do that, talking about the the rituals on the beach and (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the work that we did. We used to have women's circles uh, back Mm -hmm. in the day with Mother's Day Radio and just really connect to the heart of this work and to the need of the people. And Mm -hmm. I have to say that is what has birthed this film festival. Like I'm always listening what is needed right now. And the what is needed is what um, brought media done responsibly to bear. Our young people uh, said, based on a film, we had uh, filmmaker Byron Hurt, who uh, I don't know if you remember his film he did years ago, Hip Hop Beyond Beats and Rhymes, which yes, I used to teach that. I used to teach okay. that film, and I'm and I saw when I saw his yes. name, I'm like, I, I wasn't sure if that was the right. I'm like, I haven't taught the yes. the film in a while, but it was on yes. PBS, and and I'm like, is it that Byron Hurst? Like I'm is like a, that Byron I'm like Hurst. in his fan club, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can catch him today, actually. He's going to be uh, speaking at our festival at 4 p.m. today. So super excited. And we are honoring him with a Media Done Responsibly Humanity-Centered Media Award on March 11th. So definitely Mm -hmm. come to our awards. But he he has been so pivotal, pivotal. in the life mm-hmm. of uh, MDR, of Media Done Responsibly. And way back, I want to say it had to have been like 2007. This is before we were a full nonprofit. We were a project. We were social activists. We were, you know, doing the work in the community. And um, we had a film screening, and we brought teams from South L.A. We had um, some artists who came and, and a really great panel. And they watched his film. And I'm telling you, we had 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds saying, my eyes were open. You know, how do I talk to my friends about the issues that I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that his film did was take a look at the way in which black men are put in a box in the hip-hop industry. And how that is connected to this larger toxic masculinity in our society. And also looking at the very narrow lens through which women and men, especially when you're looking at um, relationships between black women and black men, that very narrow lens through which they can relate intimately on screen. It has to be in a hypersexual um, uh, machismo, this this hyper masculinity way, and you know there's a lot of this um, uh, misogyny, misogyn war that is a part of it that's kind of built into it, but it limits the way in which we see ourselves and we see ourselves relating. That's that's not who we are in our everyday relationships, and so. He really dug into that in a way that was so impactful for the young people. And they said, 
we had a little focus group there. Uh, they said, how do we talk to our friends about this? We want mentors to come in and share this because it's, it's not easy to have a conversation with your friend about the music that you're listening to because you don't want to sound like you're shaming anybody, but we do want them to have these insights. And so from that, uh, that was the seed through which what we're doing now with Media Not Responsibly was born. And we started this peer mentor program where now we've worked with well over 15,000 young people throughout LA County. And in this global area, global pandemic, everybody's shut in right now. We've taken a lot of our services virtually and, and online. And the organization has three pillars. We have media literacy, where we do our peer mentor program and our education program for schools and for young people. We have media production. Um, and that's the lens to which we have our Media Done Responsibly Virtual Film Festival, and we also have a media justice component, and that's where we're looking at the combination of social justice and art and how do they connect, and so I'm really excited. We're going to have um, a panel of film of the filmmakers on Saturday, so tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Pacific time, the filmmakers who are a part of this, few of them representing the festival, are going to come together and talk about how they use their films to raise awareness and to help dig into these social justice issues. And you, you talked about one, defining ourselves for ourselves and homelessness and uh, black women and young black girls dealing with homelessness and housing insecurity. So that's, that's one of the topics that we're gonna be able to dig into on Saturday with the filmmaker. Right, yeah, and I noticed that, which is pretty cool, um, uh, your your films, you, you sort of, uh, integrated the community into the screenings where you have like these these sponsors that give a little um spill before the film and and you have uh, a little interview sort of um to introduce the director and what's to come. I thought that was pretty cool. A lot of, a lot of yes. thinking went into the the programming. And another thing I noticed was that the films um, no film was more than about 20 or 30 minutes, and I was wondering maybe I hadn't gotten to the films that were longer, or are they all uh, a shorter format? There are some films that are over an hour. We do have a few oh. um, of the the full-length uh, narratives and full-length documentaries, but mm -hmm. um, we do have quite a few of mm -hmm. the shorts, and mm -hmm. some of them are concept shorts, uh, some of them are, um, you know, the short is the, the full piece. And so we wanted to have a variety. A lot of the filmmakers are emerging independent filmmakers. And the film festival itself, I, I, a lot of people aren't really familiar with the film festival circuit. That film festival mm -hmm. circuit is an opportunity for filmmakers to showcase their work and connect with industry professionals for the first time very often. And so having a short film out there is really poignant and powerful. It shows their skills. It uh, also shows areas that they might need to improve in. Um, and so it can be a learning opportunity for them, but mainly it's an opportunity for them to connect and show the world who they are and what they can do so that later down the line or even through this process, they may get funding or support to create larger films and full-length films. 
So that's one of the joys of having a film festival and, and getting your short into as, a, as an official selection into a film festival because it opens the door for opportunity and for growth. Right. Wanted to tell our audience about, um, <clears throat> you know, sort of how many films are in the festival this year, and uh, um, <clears throat> and some of some of the um, the full length ones because I didn't see any of those, and then we could talk about some of the short ones <laughs> that I did see because yeah. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah, and and also give the website so people can you know um, get registered and start watching, and no, also not miss Absolutely. any of the um, you know the. Uh, the programs, you know, with uh, exactly uh, with the directors so, and special, you know, speakers and and then the of course the awards evening. Exactly. Um, so we really have a full lineup. Um, we have about I would say about thirty official selection films, mm-hmm. and um, and we have a number of them that are shorts, and then um, we have some that are full length. So actually. The one that we were talking about, defining ourselves for ourselves, um, mm-hmm. black female and unhoused in LA, that one is over an hour as well. We have some longer ones. There's a travel film that's a part of it. There is, um, there are a few films that are dealing with um, police violence in Haiti that are full length mm. films as well. So uh, oh, you just what's the name of the go what, through. what is what's the name of the film uh, about police violence in Haiti? Um let me pull up that title for you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that sure. the one about um <clears throat> about the uh women who are black women who are ha- underhoused um and unhoused. Yes. I didn't realize that was an hour because I watched it. It didn't feel that long. It didn't feel that long, right? Exactly, because you were so into it. So there's one called Right Now I Want to Scream. Yes, Right Now I Want to Scream, Police and Army Killings in Rio. The the Brazil-Haiti Connection is one. Uh, The film It Stays With You, Use of Force by UN Peacekeepers in Haiti is another Mm. one that that Mm. deals with Mm. um, those issues. So. Really, okay. really powerful, you know. Yeah. Uh, push mm-hmm. out the criminalization of yes, black girls in school is another one of our feature documentaries. Oh, oh wow, that yeah. one, yes. And we're also going to have uh, Jacoba Atlas, a producer on that film. She is mm-hmm. Emmy Award-winning, Peabody Award-winning filmmaker, and so she's going mm-hmm. to be on our filmmakers panel tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. and just so powerful. I'm excited to have her be a part and tell this mm-hmm. story, you know, just about the right. ways in which um, <clears throat> adultification and the criminalization of black girls in schools is causing this increased level of um, incarceration of, of black mm-hmm. girls and women and mm-hmm. just brutality, this violence um, against us. So it's it's really pivotal. pivotal. I can't get that word out for to save my life today. Uh, pivotal. <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's powerful. It's, it's poignant. I'm gonna use some other p words. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's necessary to watch. I would say that right. it's necessary because 
Otherwise, we don't know what's happening, and when we don't know, we can't do anything to change it. Part of what oh, that's we're so offering true. the community, yeah, part of what we're offering the community, because you talked about the different community aspects, is we're having what's called cafe conversations. So mm-hmm. with all of the live events that we're having, we're having them mm-hmm. on a platform called AirMeet, which has not just the virtual stage that a lot of times we're used to looking at with Zoom, but it also has a virtual social lounge with um, tables set up where you can move freely from table to table to talk to different people. It has a mm-hmm. speed networking aspect of it where you can um, connect with people one-on-one. So after each of the events that occur where we have um, speakers talking, then we're going to have our, we're going to open up to our social lounge and our cafe conversations where people can meet the filmmakers, meet these industry professionals. Networking is such a huge part of a film festival. I think, mm-hmm. um, and I, I want to enter into this conversation, this idea of diversity and inclusion, because a big part of what we're doing with the film festival is making sure that we center the voices of those people whose stories are generally told by other people. So mm-hmm. the uh, Nigerian author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie speaks about the danger of the single story in her TED Talk. And she talks mm-hmm. about how powerful it is for someone else to be able to tell your story and not only tell your story, but make that the definitive story of your life. And that is what we're dealing with most of the time when we're watching television, when we're streaming shows, when we are seeing stories. Um, We're seeing stories for years, hundreds of years, right? We're seeing stories that have been told by a person in power who has wealth, power to distribute a story, to tell a story, to make a story up, um, and to define other people for them, and then to cause that story that they're telling to have a global impact because it has such reach. And so it's important for us to take back our microphones, to take back our power, and to center our stories in our lived realities, in our experiences. And one of the things that we are working to achieve with this particular film festival, with the Medium Responsibly Virtual Film Festival, is connect these emerging artists, connect these writers, these filmmakers, to industry professionals who can take their stories and help move them forward, who can help give them platform and distribution to center their stories and to help them to get deals and uh, help them get into film labs, help them to get into writers' workshops. Um, sometimes when um, industry professionals come to the festivals, they're not only just looking to see what film might I pick up, but also mm-hmm. it might be a cinematographer that they love the work that they're doing, so they may pull them onto another project. There might be a director or a writer that they connect with at one of these events and, you know, they love the work that they're doing, the direction that they went in, and so they may pull them for another project. So then we have BIPOC, Black folk, um, LGBTQ community, disabled people, immigrant people. We have these folks who are now in a position to get jobs in the industry and or take their work to the next level. 
So that's our goal and our mission, to help support these filmmakers and also for our community, our community to come together and wrap themselves up, you know, connect with the films. You have an opportunity. I don't know if you noticed this on here, but uh, you can, you can um, vote for your favorite films on uh online with the film festival and so with that we'll have an audience award and this is that opportunity for the audience to say this is the story that i want to hear that i want to see more of that filmmaker will then get their laurels that say audience award winner at the media dumb responsibly virtual film festival and they can add that to their poster as they go out to other film festivals and so that helps to add to their leverage, it helps to add to their platform and to their credibility. Nice, nice, yeah. So tell our audience, you know, sort of how do they attend the um, the festival? How does yes, so um, it's an online virtual festival, so you do not have to leave your house one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you just go to our website. The The quickest way is to do the, the bit.ly um, link, and that's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash M-D-R, all caps, Film Fest. Both of the Fs are capitalized. So bit.ly MDR Film Fest. That will take you to the welcome page. And from there, you can click buy passes and you can click um, buy a pass for all of the films. You can buy a pass for the films and for the um, live panels. And I so, so <laughs> recommend coming to these panels. Like I mentioned today, we have Byron Hurt at four. Before him at two, we have young entertainment activists. Um, and then at 6 p.m. tonight, which I'm super excited about um, mm-hmm. because I, I don't know about you, but I love Red Table Talk. The um, former president of Red Table Talk, Kibi Anderson, is going to be speaking um, at 6 p.m. today. So definitely come in the house because you'll have a chance to see or virtually, but then also be a part of that virtual networking and, and be able to connect with her. So I'm excited about that. Um, so when you log on, buy your pass, um, buy your pass for the films, buy your pass for the live events, and you'll have uh, access to all of the events that we have going on. If you get an all access pass, then you can also come to the awards and see some of the um, honorees. You'll get to see live who won the different um, jury prizes because we have a grand jury who is voting on the different films right now. And um, you'll get to see who wins the grand jury prizes and also who wins the audience award. And then you get to see folks like Byron Hurt be honored. Um, another honoree is Tiffany Smith and Wahi. She is the senior vice president of uh, Viacom CBS's Entertainment Diversity and Inclusion Division. And as a matter of fact, she developed that division and, and developed some of the programs um, that are a part of it. So really excited about the work that she has done in the community to bring about diversity and inclusion and humanity-centered media. So come out to all of our events on Monday the 8th, that is International Women's Day. And so we're highlighting our female filmmakers on that day. And mm-hmm. um, you will be able to get half off for tickets for the um, female filmmakers. And then on Wednesday, March the 10th, we have uh, a couple of great speakers, Jennifer Gotts, Participant Media, 
And then also um, at, she's at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And then we have Sherry Page from Ryan Murphy's Half Initiative, which they're really focused on women filmmakers and, and communities of color. And they have labs, they have writing programs, they have a lot of different opportunities um, for emerging filmmakers to become a part of. And so she's going to speak at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then March 11th, we have the Media Done Responsibly Awards. And so those will all take place in the virtual platform Air Meet. So come for the movies and then stay for the conversation is, is what I say, right? Um, we really mm-hmm. want to build community around this. And as I was saying earlier with the filmmakers panel tomorrow at 11 a.m., at one o'clock, we are going to have a session for the community to talk to one another about the different social issues that are brought out in the films. Like we have um, a film called Man Down, which was our opening night film, which talks about what we're seeing far, far too often, and that is the gunning down of uh, teenagers by police officers. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about being unhoused and housing insecurity. we are going to also talk about this idea of adultification and criminalization of black girls. And so these are going to be in our cafe conversations. We're going to have really structured conversation around these topics, but we want to hear from the community. I I never feel like um, it should be somebody talking at you or somebody, you know, telling you what to think or what to do. I want to hear everyone's voice. I want everyone to get used to their voice being at the table. And then at 3 p.m. on Saturday, a lot of our community agencies who are doing the work to build solutions to these issues are going to um, have a panel and they're going to be speaking with the community. So I'm excited because we have these films, but it's, it's a film festival with a purpose, Wanda. It really is where you can enjoy the films, but then you can also be a part of community and gather with community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's almost like uh you know, you're watching these films, but there's a um, a component of, of inclusion where, okay, you don't know what you, you know, sort of how to get involved. Well, here is an on, mm-hmm. here's an entree, you know, because, right. um, you know, particularly since, you know, a lot of these films have to do with um, sort of looking at some of the, the social ills that are affecting, you know, our community. I was just thinking, you know, yeah. the one you talked about, the um, what's going on with, with girl children in the public school system and I remember when my granddaughter mm-hmm. was in kin was you know she was in kindergarten I think she was was she third grade um second grade something really young they suspended her and I'm like how can you suspend a little wow. kid right right exactly yeah, yeah exactly. like I never heard of such yeah and it was exactly um, yeah and the, and the uh, what happened was she told the truth they asked her you know sort of what happened she said yeah I, I did mm-hmm. I did say that and then the other kids, they did, they they didn't admit to what they did, and so they were uh, there. They didn't, they didn't get suspended. Okay. I'm like, so you set wow. the kid up, right? Like, right. Like you tell exactly. me what happens, and you get, yeah, you know, you get punished. And the ones that don't tell, they aren't punished. It sort of reminds me of what happened right. in South Africa, right? Most mm. of the indigenous Africans were going to prison because they were telling, and and right. white folks were not telling, and so they're walking exactly. around. Or, yeah. or they leave the it's, country. Exactly. 
It's exactly. It's really deep. It's that it starts so young, but it's it's also setting them up for this idea of punitive criminalization. And where you what you see in white communities or in other communities, you see, oh, you know, this is a child. We'll teach them right from wrong. This is a learning experience. This is a teachable moment. You don't hit Sally, right? Um, but for for our children, there's an assumption of inherent badness. There's a, an assumption that something is inherently wrong, and not only was their action incorrect, but they are incorrect. And so we have to punish them and give them the, the fullest punishment. There's no excuse to um, – as a police officer, come into a school and yank a child by their braids, by their hair, and rip them out of their seat. There is no excuse to do that to a child, period. And so when we're seeing that, we it, that should be a red flag. But the thing is this idea of adultification, they do not see our children as children. When we look at Trayvon Martin, when we look at many of the, the young people who have been shot and killed, they do not see our children as children. And that needs to shift. That really has to change. And so we're going to have those conversations. We're going to dig deep, honey. We're going to talk about it all. And um, and then right. look at what are some of the solutions and how, as a community, can we be a part of making that change? Film, mm-hmm. Films, arts have always been a part of raising awareness. They have always been a part of social justice. They have always been a part of our resilience and, and us being able to have a voice when someone tries to shut us up, when someone mm-hmm. else tries to close us off we find that way. We're that grass that comes up through the cracks in the concrete, okay? And so mm-hmm. our storytelling is a huge part of that. And so today and for this week, we're going to celebrate these filmmakers. We're going to connect with them. We're going to talk with them and be a part through the Media Done Responsibly Virtual Film Festival. Right. Yeah, I want to just drop off the least the names of some of the films I watched um, yes. last night. And, um, you know, the one you open your opening film, um, the one uh, about the um, man down, the policeman, mm-hmm. man down. Yes, that ending was so unexpected. That's a short yes. film. I was really, yes. I'm like, what? I really needed to be yes. in that room when you all were talking about this. Like, what? <laughs> I did not expect him to do that. I was really, yeah, really don't tell, like, don't tell, oh. but yeah. Oh no, no, I'm not gonna tell. But I was just like, yes. wow. And then, and then yeah. the one. Um, uh, what is it? Was it called Don't Sleep? Um, and defining yes. ourselves for ourselves. Yeah, the Don't Sleep. Like, okay, wow. Yeah, and then yeah. the other that one. That was a um, film. Yeah. Mhm. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then um, let's see. I, I wrote down the names so I could mention them this morning. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Oh, I just loved um, Narcolepsy Inc. A web oh, series. Where is the rest of the yes. web series? I want to see the rest of right? it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Sikaru, I know her work. Yeah, yes. she is phenomenal. That film is like, oh, my God. I mean, the, the episode, I would totally right. watch all of it. Right. Yeah, same here. She's going to be one of our uh, panelists at the Filmmakers Panel tomorrow. So you have to come to Oh, <laughs> 11 o'clock? Okay. Yes. It's yeah, at 11 a.m. Yeah. on mm-hmm. Saturday, yes. 
Okay, okay. And then, um, let's see, kill before they run. Um, let's see, uh, backwards God, which we have the director mm-hmm. on um, on Wednesday talking about her work. Um, and uh-huh. uh, and then uh, Mino, a diasporic myth. Uh, Whoa, that's I like a funny, love... like a society of all women, no men. Yes, <laughs> yes, that. Yeah, we're able to give amazing. birth to our own children without wow that one right there I was like mm-hmm. okay yeah I, I, that one and the cinematography is so beautiful the acting is wonderful Isn't it? I it's really, really yes I enjoyed mm-hmm. that one as well yeah I don't know if yeah. you saw did you see Baby Steps did no you I watched that one yet Mm-mm. okay not yet definitely check that's another one to check out for sure okay that's, okay, cool, yeah, cool. check that one out. It's, it's, yeah, get ready though. <laughs> it's powerful. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So my next guest is in the studio, but I wanted to ask you: okay. um, Do you have any community events like people can can they come to the talks? Um, is is anything open to the community without cost? And and then I wanted to know for people like, for instance, if you can't get to the um to the panels, will they be available to watch later? Excellent question. So yes to both of those. Um, after the filmmakers panel um, is a $5 cost for tomorrow at 11 a.m. But then the okay. cafe conversation after that is free of charge. And the community organizers panel is also free of charge. And so we, we just really wanted to make sure that we had offerings that were very accessible to the community so that Mm -hmm. folks can come out and enjoy those without any issue. So what you do once you log into the film festival page is you'll go to the schedule and then from the schedule, you'll see the breakdown of all of the live virtual events that we're having. And so Mm -hmm. go to the one for cafe conversations, go to any of the ones that you want to attend because all of them are Mm -hmm. laid out on the schedule page and then go through the process. What will happen is if there's no charge, uh, you won't be charged, but you'll be sent a confirmation email with the link in order to log into the event. And uh, it'll send you a reminder. You'll get uh, sent a reminder as well when it's close to the time. Okay, so definitely we wanted to make sure that that was available for folks, yes. And Mm -hmm. what was your other question? Um, Oh, if if, um, the the talks and the panels will be available for later uh, watching, are they going to be recorded? Yes, they will be recorded. Um, So each of the talks will be recorded and will be available on demand through the festival site. The only thing is that you will will miss is the opportunity to really be in the room with them for um, Mm -hmm. our virtual mingling sessions. But the uh, sessions themselves where the speakers are speaking, you'll still have access to that. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay. So I've got to, I got to work this thing out so I can be in the house at four o'clock for buying yes. hurts. Like, oh my God. Yes. All these years, like <laughs> exactly. the real guy, like not in a, on the screen, like, oh my goodness. Yes. I have no, to tell exactly. him that I've been, that I was teaching his film, like all those years, you know, the whole idea of hyper-masculinity, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. The I term. still teach it. And I told my students he was going to be there. Like, oh my God, I have to be there. <laughs> So there's, mm-hmm. he's just, oh, yeah. he's an he's, amazing he's human mm-hmm. being. Yes. He's, yeah. he's the realist yeah. and he has such a heart 
um, and, and does such great, phenomenal work. His next film is Hazing. And so he's going to oh. take this idea of toxic masculinity and violence in our institutions, right, mm-hmm. and, and look mm-hmm. at that through a very critical lens. So, you know, fraternities mm-hmm. and sororities, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, yeah. the military, the government – a variety of different places where hazing is, is a part of it. He's going to delve into that. So watch, oh, sit excellent. back, watch out. He's coming. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, you have to connect me with him since you got the inside hookup. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'll see if he can come on this show. So, yes, okay. I will definitely connect okay. the two of you. Okay. Well, Chanel, um, congratulations, and I'm looking forward to, to visiting with you um, at the festival yeah, yes, um, thank you. Uh, Media Done Responsibly uh, Film Festival. I'm definitely planning on, on coming and um, definitely will share this information with my students and give them some extra credit to also attend. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, please. Thank you so much. Um, All right. And mm-hmm. again, it's bit.ly forward slash MDR Film Fest. MDR is capitalized and the F's in film and fest are capitalized as well. Thank you so much, Wanda, as always, for being amazing and for inviting me to be a part of this show, to have this conversation. And thank you to all of your audience members as well. Um, I invite you to be a part of our community. All righty. You take good care. All right. You too. <laughs> I will see you shortly. Thank all you. right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Good morning, Keisha Turner, Earth Child Founder. How are you? Good morning. I am well. It is a sunny day here in Isn't Oakland. Isn't it beautiful? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it just yeah, are you in sunny Oakland, California? I am indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm in Alameda County as well. Um, yes, and so I, I, I am sharing the same sky with you. Well, even if I was in another place, I'd be sharing the same sky. But it doesn't feel like it when you're not sharing the same weather, right? <laughs> That's right. Exactly, exactly. I'm glad you like, get Oh, yeah, we are sharing the same sky, but it's cold here. I'm just like, I'm just feeling so bad for everybody who has a winter because it's the winter. What is, what's, what's with this beautiful weather? <laughs> Listen, I'm originally from Chicago, so I, I do not take this, these sunny days, sunny, warm-ish days for granted at all. Like my Chicago mm-hmm. and New York self knows that it can be otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um. Wow, and you are you are here to talk to us about um dance and revolting times, um, you know, dance missions, uh mm-hmm. dance and revolting times or and uh Dirt Festival twenty twenty one and it's got a great title, Harriet's Gun, um Shape Shifting Towards a Radically Imagined Black Future. A yes. virtual arts festival which is tonight and next mm-hmm. Friday. 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. And that is like, whoa. I mean, I really (laughs) like the, um, you know, Dance Brigade's um, Dance Revolting Times, you know, series. And and that, you know, um, uh, virtual programming, it's not going to stop it, right? (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and then the and then the women, you know, choreographers, you know, like at the helm, Ooh. you know, um, you know, Sarah, Adia, and Rodessa, like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
could you get a more magical trio? <laughs> I don't think uh, it's possible. No. No, like, you know, like, okay, like, they, they knew Harriet, right? For for real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ancestrally, you know, they've been, they, like, probably channeled her in the way that this program is sort of looking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, Absolutely. right. Yeah, it's such a gift and an honor to be in space with this fantastic lineup of people. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't take it for granted. I'm seeing... You know, my uh, elders, so did the magical trio, right? <laughs> Sarah, mm-hmm. Pearl, yes, <laughs> and Adia Whitaker. Um, like, so much, so much deep respect uh, for their work. And, you know, as I, as I grow and create um, as an artist myself and, and, and choreographer, dance maker, dance collaborator, person I'm, I'm, I look to them these are the people that I look to to say okay like how how are they doing what they're doing and then how do I um you know like push it further right I think of it's interesting I've been thinking about this title Harriet's Gun right and I'm thinking mm-hmm. of it this is really beautiful uh way that um they place it if you you know kind of Go to dancemissiontheater.org. Uh, look on the website about about this dirt festival happening. There's a way that they talk about Harriet's gun as as also like an antenna, a sage bundle, a guardrail, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm thinking mm-hmm. of it too as a uh, a baton that gets passed down generation by generation. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those of us that are um, that are sharing work. Uh, on this weekend and next. So this weekend, uh, sorry, just to do a, a brief uh, uh, correction, this weekend is Friday, so tonight, Friday, March 5th, and then next weekend is actually on a Saturday, March 13th. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> no, yeah, people be no. like going like, I'm here. Where are they? Where are they? Right, right, yeah. Yeah. So when so when I think of right those those of us that are sharing um, bits of work, I'm thinking of of us holding that baton. I'm thinking of it as as a as a as a huge responsibility um, and 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 a welcome one, right? Like I mm-hmm. feel incredibly fortunate to be uh, uh, to have the responsibility of holding holding the baton, holding the torch, however you want to, you know, you know, want to frame it um, to, to forge a, a more liberated path, right? Like we, each, each generation uh, does the work to get us a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And, you know, um, I, I was listening to a talk uh, with um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, I know her on Twitter as Feminista Jones or um, Ida Bay Wells. <laughs> um, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, she's a phenomenal uh, uh, journalist uh, and writer uh, responsible for 1619 Project. I was listening to oh, her. Oh, right. yes. Right, yes, yes, yes. Um, do a lecture last evening. And, um, yeah, she was talking about, she was talking about, hope and like how can how it can be difficult to 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 be hopeful when you when you see uh how little uh progress gets made and how 
how the progress is made incrementally. And at this mm-hmm. point, I'm interested. I'm like, what does – yes, things have moved incrementally. And I'm like, also, like, how do we just kind of explode? Like, what's an explosion for it look like uh, at this point? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the Gen Z people that gets us into that, like, that propulsion, uh, propulsion for it. So kind of thinking about – yeah, thinking about those things as we go into this weekend and seeing people's work. And to be clear, I am, uh, in this particular instance, I'm not sharing um, my my own work. Um, but, you know, we'll see about dirt next year. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. I am I'm, I'm showing um, uh, uh, work that I did as part of uh, Embodiment Project. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I um, wanted you to talk about that, that collective and yeah, I just um I just love that, that uh that group. I didn't know that it was a collective now, but just the whole idea just one I just love saying the name embodiment <laughs> project, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, we're we're not gonna separate our mind from our body, from our spirit. It's all one thing, you know, it's like it works in collaboration with the other parts, the other systems, right? We can't be our body without having our other like we can't just have the body sitting over there and our mind is elsewhere. But yes. the fragmentation is is something that's promoted by a society that's so violent, right? You can't be connected to your body because that's where the pain lives, right? (laughs) So you don't want to live there because then your mind will recognize the pain and then you'll be hurt and you can't move. So it's like, okay, I got to keep it moving, so I got to separate, you know, because I got to pay my bills, you know, I got to take care of the kids. And meanwhile, you're not really taking care of the kids because you're not taking care of yourself because you're split. (laughs) And you're in pain, and you're suffering, and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I'll just take a little substance over here to be able to, like, make it through. Uh, And in the meantime, people don't even reflect back to the person that, you know, I can see that your head's over there and your your arms are over there and your feet are over there and, you know, like, yeah. Um, And I know you help people pull it all together because you teach yoga. Um, (laughs) And you made your career being in your body, right? You know, we think about the somatic uh, kind of intelligence. We think about the intelligence. Our bodies are more intelligent than the part that we call the mind, right? Um, You know, body holds memory, body holds history, you know, stuff we can't reach with our intelligence unless maybe we're hypnotized or something, or we're sleeping and we, we're ten- connected to our ancestors. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. let me let me tell our audience a little bit about you. You sent me this really phenomenal bio that will take the rest of the program to get through. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to read the first part, and then you could just fill in the others because it's so, so phenomenal. So you're a performer, Keisha Turner. Um, choreographer, educator, and root woman. Love the root woman part. Like, okie dokie. You already told us you have Chicago roots that are like, you can't see them right now because it's snowing. Uh, (laughs) Your your roots were refined in Brooklyn, another cold place. But Brooklyn is like a country, you know, like black folks live there. And... And and now you're based in Oakland, California. Like, yeah, we're happy you came this way. Uh, you are a creative change maker and performance maker that activates ancient Afro diasporic cultural wisdom and reimagines them into a contemporary context to conjure radical liberation. You're a free woman. 
In your art-making practice, you are dedicated to creating art that draws upon the power of performers and witnesses alike to affect substantial, tangible, and intangible positive change for the lives of black people, women, uh, W-O-M-X-N, and the planet. For three of the last four years, uh, your choreographic work has centered on crafting multiple iterations of We Here Now. That's real important for people that keep on getting displaced like black folks. We Here Now, we got to claim it, right? We got to claim the space and, and, and say something. You know, make some noise. We here now. (laughs) This episodic performance ritual project used performance as a cultural organizing modality to not only acknowledge the loss of black life due to vigilante and state-sanctioned violence, but to specifically emphasize the living who remain and to activate audience witnesses as co-conspirators in restoring healing and wellness to black people following centuries of largely unacknowledged harm. Uh, each version of We Here Now served to amass people, attention, and or resources around a specific topic of urgent concern to black communities. This multi-year experience laid the groundwork for her, for your <laughs> current research on ide- ideating a re- reparation strategy. Yes, I think that's really great. And I think that was before we had a reparations um bill here in California like it's going to be a thing it is a thing as soon as the um <laughs> as the task force is is named um a reparation strategy for the labor of black cultural production i was thinking as i was reading about the whole idea of accompaniment right you know we've got folks that are not do not have a direct experience but you know they can witness it and then they need something to do right they need some place to spend their money and their resources. So we here now seems like an opportunity for folks to, like, be uh, immersed in a situation with people, with bodies, and then, like, and then get some instruction on, like, okay, now this is what you can do <laughs> for your ancestors, right, that you yeah. need to, like, you know, um, sort of uh, redeem, <laughs> literally. <laughs> okay. And yeah, and then you're um you've done a whole lot, and people can go to your website. Um, and your website is give it again because I'm not on that page. <laughs> give your website, please. <laughs> oh, good. It's I am right, I right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want you to talk a little bit about Earth Child, and then sort of come come back to um, Harriet's um, gun, and. Um, and what you have planned, uh, what this piece is that you have planned for this evening? Are you this evening? This evening, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, you're talking to me. How, we are so blessed. Thank you so much. <laughs> I have arrived on this day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to connect the, the many threads. <laughs> um, so... And and I say that I say that intentionally too because uh, Earth Child in my creation of Earth Child and I and I call it like a creative enterprise because it's not a singular thing. It it mm-hmm. was and is my attempt to 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 uh, bring all the parts of myself together to to kind of self integrate, if you will. Um, you know, so there's the the performer me that's like 
that's been a part of my life since I was, what, four years old, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm a dancer. That's what I do. And I was, I was like, very, very uh, good and set in that uh, kind of aspect of my identity. Or, or I guess the way I self-identify, like, yes, this is a part of my, my heart, my soul, my passion, my purpose. I'm here to, to use the craft of dance in service of uh, uh, Black liberation and the liberation of, you know, of all people and beings on the planet. Like, yes, this is, I, I, felt, I felt very clear on that from um, sort of young-ish um, <laughs> And I, I think, you know, I definitely watched it evolve over the course of my life, like how exactly I wanted to deploy my, my work as an artist. Um, so there was that bit of, of it. And then about, oh, gosh, what year is this? this is, um, so let's see, uh, seven years ago, roughly, something like that, um, I I decided to, to move forward um, into getting my – uh, yoga uh, teacher training certification as yoga was becoming like a big part of my life and in the ways that I was healing um, I came across uh, some teachers that that connected the dots for me in inside of their teachings um, and kind of uh, connecting movement, like I knew that yoga was more than a series of asanas, more than a series of, of positions, um, but also life teachings, like teaching us how to be when we're not on the mat. And that was something that was really important to me and wanting to um, to live that, wanting to share that with, you know, with other people, particularly particularly black folks, right, particularly black women, like wanting us to be well in our bodies. You were talking about that. Um, disembodiment that can happen when we um, kind of live a life of of daily trauma, and 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 I don't use that word lightly. I, mean, I really mean that as a person uh, living in the black body in the United States. Um, I'm not meaning uh, like a, a a trauma that, in the sense of you know, like a for, for a, a context that maybe a lot of people who live here will understand, I'm thinking like a 9-11, right? It's like we have a, a, a kind of that, but like turned down on a low volume every day. So there's, there's that like under, undergirding, uh, undergirded agitation and, and, and grief that we experience on a daily basis. It's, um, it's like a, a slow, multi-generational, multi um, um, century genocide, honestly, you know, ways of like, like how can we, how can we bit by bit pull apart blackness or, or pull, extract what we need from blackness and discard the people, right? So like living with that every day, like that's, that's something that we do uh, hold in our bodies. And no wonder, you know, so many of us, uh, uh, may dissociate from our very own bodies if that is the lived experience. So I was like, well, how can this, how can this work um, be healing to my, my folks? <laughs> Every time I'm in a room of black people, I'm like, understand who I got this training for. <laughs> like, this is, this is, you know, I, like I want all who come to my classes, obviously, to, to benefit um, because these teachings um, 
these teachings are powerful and they have a long uh, lineage and legacy of being um, healing to so many people. Um, so one thing that for whoever whoever comes into onto the mat uh, when I'm teaching, and also being very clear that I want I want the the I have the highest intentions for healing for Black folks when I'm teaching. Um, so there's that aspect, and then there's the the aspect of um, you know organizing and activism, which I. I I know organizers and activists, and I'm like, I'm not on their level, so I just want to, like, tread lightly when I use those phrases, but there, you know, there are ways in which that I organize and try to use my my art as an organizing tool, Um, but I wanted to bring those three threads of my life together under a singular umbrella, so this is where Earth Child comes in. Um, and and oh, I left a little bit out. Like I said, it's so many threads <laughs> to bring together. The other bit too is that I I love making things by hand. The things that I make by hand are my um, body care products like body butters and um, uh, 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 tooth powders and uh, oils, things like that. Things that are good for the skin and for the body. So creating that. Um, and then bringing them all together under a singular umbrella, like, okay, this is this is all the stuff that I do. Pal, like here it is. This is Earth Child, <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 Earth being such an important part of it because uh, the Earth is our mother. The Earth is is what supports us and hold, literally holds us up every single day under our feet, um, and providing that stability, that base from which we uh, uh, do anything. Um, and, and, and so being in, wanting to do all those things, wanting to do yoga and dance and, and the creation of these body care products and any type of cultural organizing, wanting to do that in a way that, that honors the earth, that is in reciprocity with our earth mother. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of how Earth Child came about. And then tying that into, um, into tonight and, and the work that I uh, was doing with Embodiment Project. Um, so Embodiment Project, the the founder is now Nicole Clay Moon, and um, that yeah, I, I think a lot of her her work too was looking at it, like in in the founding of Embodiment Project, looking at the ways that trauma causes us to to distance and dissociate ourselves from our bodies. And, and that as an act of integration. So I think I was drawn because of the work I, I was doing in my in my own work um, was drawn to to that idea. And and in the piece uh, that's being presented tonight, I have the had the honor and privilege of um, portraying and embodying <laughs> Dr. Joy DeGruy, the the incredible. Uh, you know, uh, writer and, and author, speaker, uh, philosopher, <laughs> uh, also responsible for post-traumatic slave syndrome for folks who know that work. If you haven't gotten to see her speak, please do it. Your life will drastically improve. She's just <laughs> just such a wealth of information. Um, but in yeah, in this piece, I, I have the the honor of, of portraying her um, and talking about the ways that. Um, Black folks are socialized to see one another or not 
see one another. And and what that does to to us um, on an individual level and, and then how we are able to see ourselves and then how we are able to see and be with one another. Um, and so and so yeah that when, once you embody a person like that right over and over in performance, it can't help but to seep into into what it is that that you are doing in your in your daily life. Like how am I seeing my folks? Like how how am I, you know, uh making eye eye contact or giving the you know, the broad man nod, right? When I see when I see uh, folks on the street, like how how can I really be um an intentional uh relationship? And it not not necessarily uh, excuse me <clears throat> long term relationship, but uh, just just the passing of a person on the street, like I I see you, like I we we are in in this constructed universe that is the United States of America, and and in this moment in this passing, like I acknowledge that your presence, your beingness, has value. I I see you. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit about what uh, will be shared uh, from the Environment Project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really, really important um, that that we acknowledge one another's uh, presence uh, as 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 people, as persons, as mm-hmm. uh, human beings. And and if you don't speak or make eye contact, and you just pass by other people as if they don't exist, then they don't exist because that's how we um that's how we incarnate through the recognition. So I might know I exist, but if you don't know I exist when right. we encounter one another then do I really exist? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um so that's really really important cuz we're particularly, you know, African uh people of African descent um you know, we are um we are people we are we um we get our um i guess we come into who we are through the collective you know we're not folks that you know that that can grow to the fullest extent of our our potential in a silo <laughs> you know right. we we are you know we are the folks that need community connection that's why that village thing you know that that keeps on getting repeated yeah. by so many people that like you really need to be quiet. Uh, <laughs> I mean that's why the village, you know, um, uh, concept comes from from our our practice, not our saying. The the saying, you know, and and the and the putting the the trademark on on it, you know, the TM. If it's not there, it's gonna be there. <laughs> um, you know, those people are saying that stuff. That's like really, you're not living it. If you live in it, you don't have to put words to it. You just do it. That's right. Yeah, That's we're relationship right. people. Yeah. So, That's wow. True. So, so are you by yourself in this piece, or are you t- with others? Because um, you mentioned that you are playing Dr. Joy DeGruy. So, are other folks in the piece? And yeah. 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 So, what what folks will see is the the rest of uh, the Embodiment Project company. Um, mm-hmm. As I'm speaking, they are they are storytelling with their bodies. 
Okay. Um, uh, we share a, uh, an actual real-life story of Dr. Joy DeGruz, um about mm. about her son having an encounter with another young black boy. And, um, and you see, you'll, you'll see the, the literal embodiment of that uh, uh, with the other, the other dancers um, in the mm-hmm. company. And, um, you know, at, at times it's humorous and at other times it's, you know, it kind of can, can, you know, tug at your heart and, and kind of make you go a little bit deeper or, you know, at least, at least that's our intention uh, for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 I I know, you know, Dr. Joy DeGruy, which one of the reasons why she is so powerful is that she takes her stories, um, you know, her lived experience and, and then unpacks it. It's like, oh, yeah. You know, because a lot of times we experience things and we don't have time to, like, be in it because we got to keep on moving. Um, and so she she's in the piece and like she's like in this experience for us to sort of contemplate other things we could do as opposed to what maybe the person who's listening who had a similar experience did. Like, oh, okay, next mm-hmm. time, or this is the outcome, you know, if I would if you know, if I ever encountered anything like this, this could be an outcome, which might be more favorable than the outcome that um, this person has, you know, experienced through a similar kind of encounter. Because, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's, it's not that Dr. DeGruy experiences these things with her children, um, and then, or, or you know, he was a child, and he's grown now. Um, and and then, and it's an isolated incident. Like, no, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. It just stuff just keeps on replicating yeah. itself. Like, who would have thought? You know, um, you know that that black men and women would still be killed by police in 2020. You know, like in 2019, we had the 400 years of return, right? And the 400 mm-hmm. years of African American history, if you if you look at the date, you know, on you know, in Virginia as the date, you know, we know Africans were here a lot sooner than that, a lot earlier than that, particularly in California, and not as mm-hmm. free people either, but also as free people, we, you know, we go back as both free and enslaved, um, you know, here in this particular area of the country, you know, this particular geography, but if we take the 1619, you know, sort of mythology. Um, based in, you know, some fact, you know, there were these folks that came over, you know, this 20-odd Negroes, right, as they say, <laughs> that they, that they like, traded for food and provisions, right? <laughs> you know, an old Fort Comfort, like, okay, well, that that's the lore, you know, and then, you know, we just keep on going with the mythology. Um, yeah, and they were also trading, you know, white women, like, you know, these guys didn't have no wives, so they brought them over, too, and they traded them into a servitude of some sort. But you know that's that's another story, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's good. I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. Wow, that should be really cool. Does Doctor Degrue know that you all have this piece? I, 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 I believe maybe at one point, or maybe at one point she was contacted to just you know share this story. But I will say this. Um, so what year was this? This would have been twenty. 19. I feel like all the memories I shared recently are from 2019 because that's the last time we could be in person. <laughs> but oh, that, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like nobody has any share 
terrible memories from 2020. It was like, oh, that time when I was in front of my computer. No, <laughs> but in 2019, <laughs> I get to go see. I got to go see uh, Dr. Joy DeGruy speak, um, which was, which was just, you know, I like I, I had only seen her in on, um, you know, in like video lectures and things that I would find online, but. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the book. Uh, I have her book. She signed it for me. Mm-hmm. It was, like, one of the greatest honors of my life. Um, got to take mm-hmm. a picture with her. It was just so good. And I was like, by the way, <laughs> I, you know, I, I mentioned to her that, you know, that we used to uh, share a little bit of her story. And she just chuckled and smiled. <laughs> it was really, mm-hmm. it was very beautiful to meet this person in the flesh. You know, like, there's a way that I feel like I already know her very intimately, like, kind of portraying her. Um, you know, for for such a, a long span of time, that it was such a gift to be able to, to yeah, to shake her hand and yeah, mm-hmm. look her in the eye and say thank you, thank you for being, um, you know, a, a griot, a storyteller, uh, sharing mm-hmm. these sharing these personal stories that we, that give us context for uh, what we are experiencing on a, a more systemic level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, but the whole idea that you got a chance to, you know, to actually, you know, be in her presence, you know, in a tangible way, I'm sure adds to the portrayal than if you just had her in your mind and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and through a lens, that's how you knew her. But you know her, like, you've had, like, a direct experience since we are, you know, we do occupy bodies, <laughs> right, and for a reason. Yeah. It's like, okay, so, you know, we need to, like, have that physical kind of contact. So, um, yeah, so that that really um, does a lot, um, you know, particularly, I'm sure, you know, as, as, as a, a creative person, um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I don't know. You could talk about sort of how how it impacts the piece, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm really happy you had that experience too. I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing your Doctor DeGruy. That should be great. That your interpretation, <laughs> yeah, come, uh, that this 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 per, this character coming through you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's gonna be really great. Yeah, and. Also, yeah, like I said, happy to, to to share the space tonight with all the other brilliant artists um, mm-hmm. that are my contemporaries and, like, you know, witnessing them over the years and seeing mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. work grow and their magic out in the world. Uh, and so, yeah, to put all that in one place, whew, good mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do we want to give a shout out to the uh, program A folks, um, and you can tell us who you know um, of that. You know, looks like a phenomenal list. Um, you know, besides the Embodiment Project San Francisco, do you know any of the other folks? We could just sort of run the list if you like, oh, so people yeah. can kind of know. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I kind of want to. I want to shout out everybody. Like, first of all, all of Program A, y'all are fabulous. Yes. So. <laughs> Um, people I knew beforehand, uh, Andre, Andre and I, Andre Zachary, uh, and I grew up dancing together in Chicago. Um, uh, he, and he's Brooklyn, I see. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, other stomping ground. Uh-huh. Uh, U5 Mothership is, um, Tendai, Kumba. Uh, oh, that's Brooklyn too. Yeah. 
BK. Yeah, we. I guess we would have met in Brooklyn. Is that correct? Is that correct? Uh, I think so. I think that's like maybe how uh, we first met. Um, <laughs> uh, so shout out to her. Shout out to Ebony Noel Golden of uh, Betty's daughter. Um, yeah, these are these are people that you know we like our circles have over overlapped uh, particularly in mm-hmm. my New York life. And yeah, uh, yeah, and Betty's daughter is um art arts collaborative is Houston and Harlem. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's just uh-huh. like it's just your program. It's almost as if, you know, like the intention was like we're gonna put people together that know each other. I, yeah, yeah, I think so. I do. And, and it's it's hard to not get people who, or sorry, or sorry, it's hard to get people who don't know each other in the dance world. Uh, I feel like uh. we all, you know, <laughs> so many of us, so, there's so many circles that overlap. Uh, Sydney Mosley, um, circles that overlap, right? So even if these are people that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've gotten to spend a ton of time with, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like we're we're in the, in the, in the same orbit. Um, so it's just, mm-hmm. it's incredibly just fantastic to to be in more intentional space with one another. Right, yeah, yeah. and Sydney Mosley uh, is also Harlem. And then we've got, you know, Camille King out of Newark, which is not far from New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I needed to have known about Camille's work a lot sooner than than now, but you know, it's never mm-hmm. it's never too late. I'm glad to know about it now. And yeah, Alex Jones mm-hmm. Melody, uh, I mean, these folks, are, I'm telling you, they'll bring some fire. Don't miss out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so you all, did you all do like a rehearsal for the whole program A, so you so you all know what each other is doing? Is that how, how it ended up working out? Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. We were able to be oh, together. Oh, how fabulous. Oh, yeah. nice. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, in in, in Zoom life, you gotta work out the tech mm-hmm. <laughs> and just make sure mm-hmm. it all. Um, so yeah, it was good to kind of <laughs> to connect in that way. Right, yeah. right, yeah. And so folks can get tickets at Dance Mission Theater uh, with er dot org, and you can just That's look fun. at the program. So again, it's the uh, Dance Dance and Dangerous Times Festival, and it's five p.m. This evening, today is Friday, um, March 5th, and then next Saturday, um, March 13th, same time, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific time and 8 p.m. Eastern time next week. Too. You got- oh, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, I'm looking at it. I don't know why I'm asking you, too. Hey, wonderful. <laughs> With people that I know, and I'm going to be, I'm gonna be like, throwing things at the screen because I'm like, those are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And... And I know I'm keeping you over a little bit, and I know you probably have a lot to do because today is your day. But tell us about the Harriet's gun, like the whole idea of Harriet, Harriet as in Harriet Tubman. And, and you know, the picture that you sent me has you, you know, as a warrior woman, you know, sort of like on, you know, in this space, you know, claiming it. So one of you could maybe um, tell us about that, Harriet's gun, not just Harriet, but Harriet's gun. We know we know the sister carried a rifle and it was like either you know you commit to freedom or you're gonna stay here. You're gonna be free one way or the other. So Harry's gun, uh, shape shifting towards a radically imagined black future. So that maybe you could talk a little bit about about that particular um, intention 
of of the work and of all the work for these two weekends? For sure. Um, I, I will be clear in saying I was not responsible personally for uh, that language. Um, mm-hmm. But what I will say is that you don't read that and not know. You know what I mean? Like, even if you can't articulate it, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, y'all not playing, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't talk about, don't talk about Harriet's gun. Uh, and, yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, it was protection. It was, it was motivation, right? Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was conjure. It was, it was uh, almost machete. So, the, yeah, the image that I sent you is me holding a machete. And I, I like, I like working with that as an idea, idea mm-hmm. of um, cutting, cutting through the static, cutting through what would what would otherwise um, contribute to our demise, like cutting out of that, cutting that free um, Mm -hmm. to move in to the liberation that we have always deserved, right? That's never been a question. It's it's, it's the fact that we are doing the clearing. So I think, um, I think of, of, of Harriet's gun and the, the tip of the spear of the machete doing, doing, similar work and um, you know as a child learning about Harriet Tubman I mean like I mean pretty young I mean like you know kindergarten through second grade and you know went to a school that had like a pretty significant Black History Month program and you know you get all the people and you learn about this person did this and I remember like at that younger age being like but do y'all understand what this woman did <laughs> do y'all really know <laughs> felt that profound to me as a child um and so to come to come into adulthood and to be in this beautiful shared collective black consciousness where we are giving mama harriet necessarily wasn't but I, i think there's a way that we can say that we can just be like oh we know this you know, black person because they did this, and this other black person, it just it, it becomes almost uh, statistical rather than really sitting with the gravity of what takes place in a person's mind and heart and body to say, we're not doing this anymore. I'm out. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. those, uh, uh, the, the T-shirts, <laughs> <laughs> that you know, kind of uh, quote quote our black ancestors in in terms of like today's uh, uh, vernacular or language. Like you know, I'm out. Harriet Tubman, right? Oh, <laughs> um, I right. Think of <laughs> you know what I'm you know those those shirts. I, I love those um, because there there's a way of us. Uh, I think that's part of the shape shifting. Right, like we we are taking that ethos that our ancestors held, and we're putting it into the language that we currently use. So we we all know what that means, right? And I think that I think that is what Harriet's gun does. I imagine the people that you know she um, was leading into into freedom, leading uh, up north and away from this country. Um, they knew what that meant too, right? They saw that gun and said, oh. This this is this is 
contributing to shape shifting whatever I thought, um, whatever I, whatever relationship I had to this present circumstance. If I had any doubts about whether I'm moving forward, this is where I drop them. <laughs> this is where I, I, I leave them now. So I can go ahead and, and move into that future. Like Harriet's work is and was the work of a radically imagined black future. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, I imagine being born into plantation life. The future that you see is, is working and dying, right? And she, she had the radical black future, the radical black imagination to say, that is not, that is not the trajectory of my life. I do not claim that. And so, um, as I was saying before, to be to be in the lineage of that is just even to purport to be in the lineage of that. I'm like, um, I hope what I'm doing is like a fraction <laughs> of what mm-hmm. of what um, you know she she offered. Uh, not just those specific ancestors that you know she um, walked across state lines, but. Uh, uh, what that has meant for all of us. Um, and so, yeah, so when I call in the warrior energy, when I, the, the image that you saw is from a, a piece that will be a film. It's still in process. Hope to get it out sometime this year, <laughs> sometimes in the summer. Um, it's called mm-hmm. She Rage, She Wash, She Wail, She Win. And it looks at the mm-hmm. connection between um, the, the, the ways that we've treated the, the, the physical body of the, and black women's body and drawing mm-hmm. and uh, looking at the connection between the two and how the liberation of the one is the liberation of the other. Um, and so in, in grabbing that, in grabbing that machete, it is, it is the, it is the, the tip of Harriet's gun uh, saying, no, I'm imagining something radically different. I'm imagining, um, not even ima- imagining something different and claiming something different. Like, Mm-hmm. This will no longer be so, and so it is. That's what that's what I imagine here. Gun saying that's what I imagine the machete saying, cutting through the static and saying, um, I actually claim uh, my joy, our joy. I claim my freedom, our freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I would love to to have you join us again um, at some other time to talk about um, you know the uh, the work that um we talked about a little bit um we hear now um yeah that that really intrigues me so um yeah let's 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 continue this conversation and i'm really looking forward to seeing your work this evening you know with the rest of your you know the you know your team um you know the embodiment project yeah yeah how is nicole clay moon you said how is she yeah I'm sorry. Oh yeah, <laughs> she's doing. <clears throat> she's doing well. Uh, I am. I am not presently in the company because I'm currently in grad graduate school. <laughs> so, yeah, you um, mentioned that I, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I had to. I was like, as much as I love y'all, I got to step away. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, she is. She is making moves with embodiment projects. Right, right, yeah. Well, cool. Well, I'm glad you could, um, you know, step back in for a moment to do this uh, piece. 
as um, you know, the character um Dr. Joy the Grew. It's gonna be heck of awesome um to see her in you. Your portrayal is gonna be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then to see to see folks that are part of your you know, your um your community, um, your literal community, um, this evening is gonna be really special as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We excited it and yeah, hope is as many uh, true listeners can come through. Yeah, it mm-hmm. be really wonderful. Right. Well, congratulations, you know, on on all of your your wonderful projects and and good luck on on the uh, academic track and yeah and and all of the things that you're doing, you know, to help our people, you know, be be whole. Um, you know, thank you so much, you know, for the work. Oh my God! Thank you. Thank you for bringing, you know for the space to share something like this and the, the many other people that get to share what they're doing. Um, thank you for the platform. Really, really lovely talking with you this morning. And yeah, let's, let's do it again soon. Okay, Keisha. <laughs> see you, to, see you this <laughs> afternoon at five. Take <laughs> good care. All right. You too. Peace and blessings. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So we are going to play uh, the women's rights mixtape um, from a few years ago. Um, it was a campaign, um, and I uh, I don't know if the the uh, the campaign is going to be mentioned here, but it was really awesome. And and then it had a kickoff at um, in downtown Oakland. So here's the mixtape, and then and then we're going to. Um, I was going to play uh, rebroadcast Wednesday show. But I'm having trouble. So we're going to listen to um, Poets Unite, um, which is uh, looking at the UN International Day uh, Against Violence Against Women uh, to highlight um, strategies to address violence against women. And that was uh, back in November, November, and um, I uh, broadcasted on November 27th. And it was um, hosted by... Um, Kim McMillan, Dr. Kim McMillan's, um, uh, what is her? <laughs> she she hosts so many wonderful wonderful um, poetry readings, break, um, Wake Up America series, and uh, and I also want to let folks know that next week, and I think I might have linked it um, in WandasPicks.com. If not, I would look for it. And if you don't see it, send me a reminder. <laughs> um, you can you can email me from the website, or you can put some in, something in blog. But there's going to be a really wonderful talk. It's a free talk on the 10th, which I believe is Wednesday, um, at Dillard University. It's going to be broadcast through their web through their Facebook. It's going to be a Facebook uh, live event, and it's going to be featuring these wonderful artists, writers who um, have uh, contributed to a publication. Uh, tales of Wakanda, and uh, and they've created stories inspired, and I think set in Wakanda, the mystical African land um, where Black Panther um, reigns, right? So anyway, so that's next week. Um, I think it might be 5 o'clock. Don't hold me to the time because I'm doing it from memory, and let me check it right now because... I would hate for you to have missed it because you didn't check it, and um, and I told you wrong. So let me look at my calendar. 
next week, the 10th. And again, it's going to be uh, in the website for Dillard, the Facebook for for Dillard. Oh, gosh, it's uh, 3 o'clock Pacific time. Ooh, you would have totally missed it. You would have been really angry with me. So 3 o'clock uh, <laughs> uh, Pacific time and 6 o'clock um, Eastern time and 5 o'clock Central. Uh, 3 o'clock Pacific time, 4 o'clock. Uh, Central Time. So if you're in New Orleans, it's, it's 4 o'clock. But anyway, it's going to be really, really awesome. So you don't want to miss that. So that's how I'm going to end the show. And uh, you're going to hear some really moving and um, really powerful, powerful work um, in this uh, audio recording of the Zoom broadcast back uh, in November. Uh, sort of looking at recognizing and uh, looking at what we can do to end violence against women. So here is the Women's Rights Mixtape. We're taking back the power because we deserve it. Human rights, we want an equal voice, people pay equal rights, taking back the power, cause we deserve it, a women's rights, a human rights, we want an equal voice, people pay equal rights. For my daughter, born to be a leader, a visionary, powerful, the truth is what I feed her. You can know the difference very second that you meet her. Consistent breed of woman ain't playing the backseater. No prima ballerina making half a few Latina. One in four women homeless cause someone beat her. Respect that we deserve is the power that we earn. Hashtag me too, my body, my turn. We need reunification. Cause we treat the genders like two different nations. And we don't have time to be having no patience Remember last time that we waited for changes I like a woman that said for what's right I like a woman that said for what's right Still go to work since it's over that bay Cause she only make happy with the mimic and I We're taking back the power Cause we deserve it A women's right, a human right we want an equal voice, equal pay, equal rights Taking back the power Cause we deserve it A women's right, a human right We want an equal voice, equal pay, equal rights When we stand in allegiance, we will never be defeated She is so powerful, but mistreated I've seen what society thinks she should be But every single woman is unique You are different, you are gifted Stronger than you know, they can never take your soul Broken, beaten, torn to pieces Stronger than you know, they can never take your soul We've been chastised and laughed at But women always bounce back Limit my abilities, I'm swerving way past that Hold a thing, grasp that We can never backtrack Women run the world and that's a fact Snap or cap that Wanna make a change? Oh, that's funny, me too They objectify women and they thinking this cool Wanna talk about equality? I'm joining in too I'm Dakota, I guess you could call me Mrs. Me we're taking back the power, cause we deserve it A women's right, a 
human right. We want an equal voice, equal pay, equal rights. Taking back the power. Cause we deserve it. A women's right, a human right. We want an equal voice, equal pay, equal rights. Powerful beyond belief. I breathe soul into life. Not despite of, because I am women. I am the revolution, ancestral calling to join us truth. Susan B. Anthony and Ida B. Wells paved the way so that Ava DuVernay could create today. Blinded by divinity, our powers go on to infinity. United pillars, a liberty. We're taking back the power, because we deserve it. A women's right, a human right. We want an equal voice, equal pay, equal rights. Hi, my name is Kim McMillan, and I want to welcome you today. Today is a very, very important day. Um, What we are as poets uniting to really address the theme of the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and that is today, November 25th. As countries implemented lockdown measures to stop the spread of coronavirus, violence against women, especially domestic violence, has intensified. The UN Secretary General's Unite to End Violence Against Women campaign, a multi-year effort aimed at preventing and eliminating violence against women and girls, will focus on amplifying the call for global action to bridge funding gaps, ensure essential services, for the survivors of violence during the COVID-19 crisis, focus on prevention and collection of data that can improve life-saving services for women and girls. This year's theme for the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is Orange the World, Fund, Respond, Prevent, Collect. Like in previous years, This year's International Day will mark the launch of 16 days of activism that will conclude on December 10, 2020, which is International Human Rights Day. We've gathered 14 wonderful poets to speak on issues of violence against women and the kind of world we want to see, a world where there is no violence against women and against men, a world that is is a world that is love. And yes, we, we're, we may not make it there quite yet because we're realistic, but at least we can address this and hope for a better world with our actions show that that is possible. Our first poet in the lineup is Kim Shuck. Kim Shuck is just a marvelous, marvelous poet, writer, activist, and she's also the current and the seventh poet laureate of San Francisco. In 2019, Shuck was awarded an inaugural National Laureate Fellowship from the Academy of American Poets and a Penn Oakland Censorship Award. Without further ado, we're going to have Kim read. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Um, I'm going to read a couple of poems from my book, Murdered Missing. 
that are about the uh, violence against indigenous women specifically, but we know that these are problems for all communities. This project was 50 days in a row of writing a poem a day. So day one, somewhere, she's afraid right now. It hurts to be strangled. The body panics. She's silent. Might die of stroke, pulmonary edema. The arteries may tear. Her head feels as if it might explode. And this can take up to five minutes. Day two, blamed for her own death, let out in a motel bathtub. In court, the defendant's attorney made her as inhuman as possible, brought body parts to court. Her lifestyle, her identity at fault, as if murder were a logical conclusion, as if her attacker had no choice, as if we were provocation in skin, another acceptable sacrifice. Day three, shot, dead named, misgendered. Even the way they looked for you was a violence. Each detail a complex inaccuracy, targeted as acceptable law. You are loved in your own name now. We see you. Day four, communities mended over and over. Light story touches the ones literally missing. Patched gatherings, families stiff with protective stitching. Our loss, they're not lost just once, but every waking morning, every song without their voices, each time, every time, for all time. And day five, you are our leading cause of death, vanished. I can feel myself going transparent. The car her daughter was last seen in was found in a lake, her child's dead body inside. He has jurisdiction, local police, reservation police, FBI. We don't know if there was a crime. We don't know if there was a white person involved. In this city, when she didn't come home, I called the police, and it was three days before they came to the house. Her disappearance was a choice. Shouldn't be hitchhiking. To afford a car, we need to work. No work in town. No public transit. Last scene, standing by Highway 16 in the rain. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for the, your courage to read that poem. Thank you very much. Our next poet is John Curl. John is the author of two novels, a memoir, history, poetry, and translation of ancient Maya Aztec poets. He practiced custom woodworking at Hardwood Cooperative Workshop in Berkeley, California for over 40 years. He was also a founding member of the committee organizing the annual Berkeley Indigenous People Day Powwow. Hi, John. We're looking forward to your reading. Thank you very much for inviting me, Kim. Thank you. Ballad of Mom and Dad. How could you do it? Don't you love me? The toilet brush is earthquake blue, rolling its sorrowful eyes on the payday line. 
I always save frozen orange juice containers to pour off chicken fat into. The cleanser smoked our coffee break while the bathtub ring is singing melon rhymes. I was said seven goddamn minutes late. They got no right to dock me a half hour. The speed up is crackling. The gas bill is vicious. Ooh, there are little round shiny bugs in the flower. For crying out loud, can't you even wash the dishes? The TV weatherman is doing a strip tease. The yellow cat snores in a puddle of burning machine grease. The, poor, the foreman whirls down the drain, but a dream drowns his screams. Mom is praying to dear God, make it stop, please. Dad and mom lie back to back, each hoping the other is asleep. Mommy was a chore slave till it broke her spirit. Daddy was a wage slave till it broke his back. Mommy got shrunk in the broom closet. Daddy got stretched on the boss's rack. Dad's working night shift and is hardly ever home. Mom keeps whispering she only wants to be alone. Dad's beside the TV, snoring and groaning. Mom's beside herself and won't answer the phone. Dad's got a heart attack and flowers on his stone. Mom's got cancer and you can see all her bones. Remember that evening in the park when you first touched each other's cheek? Remember how you slipped and skinned your heart? Remember when she didn't return your call for what felt like almost a week? Remember his first fumbling your bra? Remember how your energy fields shimmered almost the same and drenched your thankful mind in a hot glowing rain? Remember how the grind began to drive you apart? How you were resigned to servitude three years at most, well, maybe five or 10. How you panicked when you saw the gate swing closed and the prophets of gloom turned out to be the wise. Remember how the lackeys in their cocked silk hats drove smartly past your pen while their children sobbed and mocked at you for having drunk their father's lies. Daddy, I know you only did what you thought you had to do. Mama, where'd you find the strength to pull us through? Daddy, don't try to stop me. I know what I got to do. They ain't going to checkmate me like they trumped all over you. All pawns are wild now, and so are the Knights of Hearts. Mama, we got to light candles from the stars. Thanks for reminding me. Before my core ever melted for the very first time, before I ever fully lost my stillborn heart in this sandstone desert heat, I worried if I was capable of whatever I imagined love to be. She comes only in her only good time. She only comes at her good time 
or she doesn't come at all. Two planets spinning in orbit around each other, intimate others. I had heard so much about what intimacy is and isn't. Then I devoured love, swallowed it in such huge gulps that only left me drowning in limestone caverns and thirsting at the same time. She sighed into her pillow. Do we have to? No, I replied. We don't, we don't have to. And at that instant, for the first time in my life, I gave up on sex. For the longest time after that, I had no interest in love. There was no one I wanted to join my body with. I didn't want to get involved. Ever since I'd come of age, I'd either been with a partner or been looking for one. Without a partner, I'd felt ungrounded, without a center. Now, some tectonic plate had shifted inside, and I wanted only to be alone. I wasn't looking for a partner. I didn't want to be in a couple. For the first time in my adult life, I was happy to be alone, single. I no longer felt the need for an intimate other. Am I still capable of feeling, of touching someone, or letting someone touch me? Or am I so remote now that no one dares come near? Then you reminded me. Long before we were women and men, long before we were gay and straight and everything else, long before we were human, Aristophanes said, according to Plato, the deity created us double-gendered, all-inclusive, self-sufficient, bisexed. We were also arrogant. And in punishment for our presumption, the deity split us in half, cut us each into two, creating the sexes, the genders. And ever since, we've been lonely longing, searching for our other half, thirsting for the intimacy of rejoining with our other self and becoming whole again. The last time I felt this way was in a different lifetime. Just touching someone like this, so casually intimate, I've forgotten how it feels to merge, submerge, into some shared space, some place that is neither you nor me, but both of us, familiar, comfortable, in a special way, cozy, yet vast as the universe. Thanks for reminding me. And thank you. Thank you, John, uh, particularly for being so vulnerable to read something of that nature. Thank you. Our next poet is Nina Serrano. I've known Nina for years. She is a poet of such magnitude. She is well-known, internationally prize-winning, inspirational author and poet with a focus on Latino history and culture. She is also a playwright, 
filmmaker, KPFA talk show host, a former Alameda County Arts Commissioner, and the co-founder of the San Francisco Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts. Nina, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Can you hear me? I can hear you beautifully. I enjoyed hearing Kim and John's poems, and thank you, Kim, for putting this together. It's very exciting to be with everybody today. I'd like to dedicate my poems today to my late friend and compañera, Mama Koa, Sylvia Pada, who first introduced me to this important UN-mandated date, November 25th for the elimination of violence towards women. It was 2008 in San Francisco. Mama Koa was a poet, musician, and healer, an undocumented Mexican immigrant and single mother who called herself the border crossing goddess. As a relentless activist in Mexico, she was used to participating in communal, artistic, and spiritual ceremonial events for this day surprised that there were none in San Francisco, she went to the 16th and Mission BART station with a few other women and offered prayers and clean cleansings. When we met in 2008 after a poetry reading, she suggested we organize a November 25th cultural event. We did this for eight years until Mama Coat's untimely death at age 50 from cancer in 2015. As one of our last wonderful events, we were helped by Kim McMillan to hold the event on the steps of City Hall at noon. Poets, musicians, Aztec dancers, organizational representatives, and even two city supervisors participated. At the end, we stepped down from the City Hall steps formed a large circle on the grass. Mama Coat blessed each person with a copal smudge and we all vowed to work to end violence towards women. That year, she was invited by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to City Hall. She was afraid to go because of her undocumented status. But instead of being jailed, she was honored because of her work on behalf of women and the end of violence with a civic proclamation. That was Mama Kalak. And this is my poem called The Story of Two Ninas. Two Nina, two Ninas, a generation apart. The younger one said to the older, I read in your biography that as a child, you traveled in New York City on subways and buses alone. The older, in response, told the younger how between the ages of 10 and 12, she had seen so many penises because sometimes men on trains exposed themselves, penis after penis. The younger said, me too. I traveled on subways and buses at those ages, and taking advantage of crowded conditions, men would rub against me. Neither, neither of the Ninas had ever discussed this aloud. They had simply 
found clever, youthful ways to escape their pursuers. Assuming it was part of the price of freedom to travel, it took thousands of Me Too's decades later to mention it. Because sexual harassment had been so commonplace, so unspeakably unmentionable, that even now, decades later, when the two accused molesters sit on the Supreme Court to pass judgment, determining what civil society allows, the two Ninas broke their silence. Their misadventures spilled out, trapped for decades, as the shared Me Too Stories movement begins an unstoppable avalanche to smash the patriarchy. In closing, the poem Leilani. Yesterday, the smoke the air cleared. I visited my new great-grandchild, seventh great-grandchild for the first time, wearing a mask. Gathering safely in the lush garden of bright peaches, figs, squashes, pumpkins, and tomatoes, as marnics and hummingbirds flitted among the flowers. Seated, I held her, mellow and beautiful being, in my arms, and said her name, Leilani, aloud. Sweet Leilani, heavenly flower. I sang to her, but could not catch her infant smell through the mask. Peering into her face, searching for resemblances, I saw different elusive family members race by in her random expressions. She fits so snugly against my body as if she'd always been there. Though only 18 days old, she always had. When her mother spoke, she turned towards her, soon was nursing contentedly in her tender embrace, falling peacefully asleep. I left with a bag of sweet, ripe peaches, my heart full and the word resilient on my mind, resilient. Thank you. Thanks so much. It seems we've lost our hosts for a moment. So we're going to, uh, I will take the host for a moment, but not for too long. Up next, we have uh, Jenny Lim. I don't have your bio in front of me, Jenny, but I know you're amazing because you're here tonight. So uh, welcome. Okay. Thank you all. I haven't seen you poets. I've known you for like 20 years or so. So this is really a sweet reading for me to see everybody here. Very touching. Thank you, Kim, so much for organizing this. This one is for Brianna Taylor, Word on the Street. Why did they have to shoot you? So many times. At Bunker Hill, the soldiers said, don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. Word on the street has cops say, don't shoot till you see the black of their skin. Well, the SWAT don't give a squat. It's over before it starts. Over 30 bullets 
bullets rip through the walls, halls, and blinds, shatter windows, closets, dishes, pots, and pans. Damn, they fire rounds like Looney Tunes or kids shooting apparitions with toy AKs and M16s. But this is real, man. This ain't no video game. And the victims, Fred Hampton, Tamir Rice, Rayshard Brooks, Luis Gongora, so many others, were not target practice for your cruel sport, strafing angels in their sleep as we dream in suffocating proximity, shredding earth into dust with arsenals meant for, quote, ragheads in Iraq and Afghanistan to shatter our glass house of hallucinations, to smash the already paper-thin crust of our hollow American pie. The wheel of fortune dropouts cry. It's a rigged game. How did you come to be defined by death but not by life? Did you have a moment of clarity, out-of-body lucidity? Or did time collapse into that shapeless black chameleon of indeterminate space where the miracle of pink flesh born of mother love, that first refuge of love and longing preceding definition, usher you into the realm of sugary, painless non-existence as the boogeyman came to pluck your last breath like an apple from the tree of life with its knocking branches of love, marriage, children, family, career, and home to cut you down when you entered death's revolving door by firing squad? Were you astonished by the scope of man's bloodlust? Did you cross the river sticks with the oar of forgiveness? A feather in the noose of the wind dragged by despair. When riots and rage unleashed in the streets of America, the empty shells, fingerprints, and DNA announced the crime, yet a grand jury called it self-defense. Code word for impunity. You were caught in the blazing crossfire, guns drawn on all sides, like a butterfly pinned to shadow the world is shackled to the flesh of strip search, checkpointed, background checked, interrogated, handcuffed, raped, beaten, and murdered, black and brown bodies on totems of bereft faces ornamenting the night like stars. We will scream. We will shout. We will cry out your name with our hearts carved into the trunks of trees on sidewalk, concrete, graffiti, bridges, buses on billboards, mural songs and poems tattooed on our lips and tongues till the offenders of hatred, indifference and violence are known and a warrant for history's arrest is issued on 400 years of uninterrupted genocide word on the street. We shall erect a monument of our memories with the stories and mortar of civilizations disappeared, and we shall say the names of the disappeared over and over as we rise up to say your name over and over. Brianna Taylor, Brianna Taylor, Brianna Taylor. Taylor. This one I'm going to close with is dedicated to Yuri Kochiyama, 
She was a good friend. She was actually a good friend of Malcolm X and was the one who rushed to him when he was shot down and held his head. It's on a video clip, and she's uh, an amazing inspiration to me and other Asian-American activists, a true civil rights activist from um, decades ago. This is Yuri's dream. All the world's a dream, awakening the mind, a pyrrhic dance in the appearance of time. Dare she to dream the world a circle, a basket woven of differences visible and whole, emoja, bongo, manano, creatures of the earth in every color, race, and creed, shining like cut diamonds, reflecting a thousand galaxies of worlds within worlds, beings upon beings, slipping on air with the language of communality, Dare she march with the black saints under the cold gaze of hell, sparking dreams in history's shadow with the passage of seasons, revolutions, and battles, pushing the hours, the days through Sisyphus's noose to touch the burning stars. Tong not, kesoku, spiritus, pangyao, each day becomes harder to grasp the bow's arrow with a grand view of a unified map from which her vision sprung in perfect alignment with a reverence for beauty and life and the souls of a lost species, Ibunye, Vienotiba, Agape, Yuri's dream. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, and I want to say, I, I apologize, my computer went down for a sec, but Yuri Kojiyama was one of the most beautiful souls that I've ever met, had the honor of knowing. And for you to recognize her means a lot. And I want to say, everyone, the people that are being recognized, it just it, it opens my heart. I am so grateful to you all. And I want to say a couple of words about Jenny. Jenny is a native San Francisco poet a playwright and a performer. Her award-winning play, Paper Angels, a prison drama about Chinese immigrants held on Angel Island was the first Asian American play featured on PBS American Playhouse in 1985. Ginny is a stand-up, beautiful human being who has done so much for civil rights and social justice. Um, she's also a noted jazz poet whose collaborations have included the late Max Roach, bassist Herbie Lewis, Zhang Zhang, Francis Wong, and Anthony Brown. Thank you so much, and please forgive me and my computer. Um, <laughs> our next um, poet is the wonderful Ziggy Willenberg. Ziggy is, Ziggy is just amazing. She's a performance poet and a co-leader of the jazz poetry ensemble Upsurge, which was produced, which has produced two CDs, All Hands on Deck and Chromatology. She is a member of the National Writers Union and Radical Poet Collective po and Radical po Poets Collective. Her poetry is published in Rabbit and Rose, 
Riders Resist, Snapdragon, Dissentant Voice, and Occupy Wall Street Poetry Anthology. Please give just I'm just so thrilled to have Ziggy here. Thank you for being doing this, Ziggy. Thank you. Oh, it's my honor to be here with everybody. Thank you. Much bitter with the sweet. It really is too much, this world now, maybe always. Cycles of pause where you snatch breath and notice beauty separate from excruciating horror. The maror, delicious liberation, follows bitter herb, stories told every spring. The enslaved resist, clamor for justice, escape Mitzrayim, that narrow place, bitter with the sweet. You cower from muchness now, its unrelenting demand, how deep and thick the morass, roots impacted, pray to stay alive this one more night through sirens, helicopters, rubber bullets, tear gas, the world's over. This is the lethal familiar. As if an occupied curfew can soothe with its coarse burlap uniform of war. The artists carry you through, lifted in their arms like a baby in a basket saved from Swift River. Tossed softly, your adolescent angst, nourished to buoyant. Milk rinse your eyes, gather honey, and drop to any patch of earth. Brush your skin on the surface of buds, verdant roots, dew of renewal. Okay, move along, fold your soapbox, mic in hand, mostly never a gun, but a hammer, a wallet, a phone, a bell, a song rung with sweat. While imagine... Imagine all the people plays your internal boom box. This next piece is not my own, but I thought it was important. Um, it was written in the summer of 2014 when Israel once again invaded Gaza. And as a Jew, I feel like it's in important to recognize that my cousins, my sister cousins in occupied Palestine and um, in Gaza particularly, this poem was written by Lina Kalaf Tufaha. And wherever there is war and militarism, there is always violence against women and children. It's called Running Orders. They call us now before they drop the bombs. The phone rings and someone who knows my name calls and says in perfect Arabic, this is David. And in my stupor of sonic booms and glass shattering symphonies still smashing around in my head, I think, do I know any Davids in Gaza? They call us now to say, run. You have 58 seconds from the end of this message. Your house is next. They think of it as some kind of 
wartime courtesy? It doesn't matter that there is nowhere to run to. It means nothing that the borders are closed and your papers are worthless and mark you only for a life sentence in this prison by the sea. And the alleyways are narrow. And there are more human lives packed one against the other more than any other place on earth. Just run. We aren't trying to kill you. It doesn't matter that you can't call us back to tell us. The people we claim to want aren't in your house. That there's no one here except you and your children. Who were cheering for Argentina, sharing the last loaf of bread for this week, counting candles left in case the power goes out. It doesn't matter that you have children. You live in the wrong place, and now is your chance to run to nowhere. It doesn't matter that 58 seconds isn't long enough to find your wedding album or your son's favorite blanket or your daughter's most almost completed college application or your shoes. Or to gather everyone in the house, it doesn't matter what you had planned it doesn't matter who you are. Prove that you are human. Prove you stand on two legs. Run! Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next, uh, and before, I want to also say, Ziggy, the work you're doing through poetry with regard to human rights is beautiful. Thank you for that. Our next poet is New York poet Raymond Nat Turner. He's the artistic director of the stalwart jazz poetry ensemble Upsurge. He has appeared at numerous festivals and venues, including the Monterey Jazz Festival and Panafest in Ghana, West Africa. He is currently poet in residence at Black Agenda Report. Hi, Raymond. Thank I'm you. so glad and you're here. I'm glad, too, and su such an honor to be among such incredible uh, poetry uh, practitioners. Anyway, this is called Seven-Year-Olds Dying in Third Reich Detention. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? wide-eyed incantation of a child, three feet plus 60 pounds, exodus leaving the lowland six days before birthday seven. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Beaming birthday celebrant on the bus, munching an uncrushed pink frosted cookie from Poppy's beat-up backpack. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Her small, soft hands celebrating heroics of an unshaven face chasing dreams. Dreams of pine tree scents and small gifts, compliments of magic of his hands. Dreams of the doll her mother promised before dying suddenly. Dreams of asylum from violence, 
fleeing extractive capitalism's suction tube tentacles. Poppy also had dreams of Jaybird, as he called her, teaching school and university with compassion and skill. She instructed stick dolls he crafted from fallen branches. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Springing up and down on her invisible trampoline. Poppy's promises of a Christmas tree and celebration in California and America, racing through her amazed and amazing mind. Poppy was proud. His back burned and ached. He clenched his teeth when she dozed off to sleep. His stomach growled, rattling sunken sides. He went without eating so her belly would be full. He took tiny swigs of water so she'd have enough. Football fans love players that play through pain. Basketball fans love players that create their own shots. Does chasing dreams thousands of miles through government gang-infested swamps, bad back, seven-year-old in tow, show up in your thicket of statistics and fantasy? Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? To her, the bumpy ride, jarring dreams, juggling her belly up and down was an adventure and Poppy had prepared her for it with bedtime stories where everyone lived happily ever after. Arriving at a border swarming with uniformed thugs, three-fifths human, igloos pumping raw sewage through veins whistling Dixie, prying Poppy and Jaybird apart, her forehead up. 105-degree radiator, body spasming, eyes rolling round in her, their sockets, tummy evicting food Poppy had fed her. Terrorist tricks to breach the border, enter the U.S. As were delirious, distorted, slow-motion last words, Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? And this next piece is called uh, Sugar Hill Playdate versus Oslo Peace Process. 35 pound question mark, three foot exclamation point. Doesn't cringe at loud sounds or Pete is bed behind nightmares. Cameron, my three-year-old Sugar Hill neighbor's an old soul. I'm honored that he refers to me as my friend Raymond. Cameron's mommy's a surgeon studying for her boards. His granny's a history professor writing another book. So I'm awarded a Cameron play date. Cameron has every truck ever made and knows precisely each truck's function. He teaches truck 101 to anyone in earshot. 
He warns work will not begin before his bright yellow hard hats jammed over jet black curls. He buckles his two belt low and tight. He studied styles and moves of the working class, has them down pat. Cameron creates tasks for each truck, then schools me on how the crane on one truck works. He doesn't trust me with the trucks. Blessed, he believes mommy and granny will protect him from scary things, feed and hydrate him after he plays hard, read and sing sleepy time lullabies, enforcing peaceful naps as the Sandman invades. So I spare Cameron fractured fairy tales of ambulances twisted into burning bloody metal hulks, pieces of cloth, shoes, drivers, and assistants. I spare him fractured fairy tales from Oz, natives driving zigzag routes round a Frankenstein scar dissecting their homeland, land where his trucks would have different color license plates and stop at checkpoints manned by teenage thugs eager to cast lead. Traveling Oz by truck, Cameron might see caterpillars crunching toys, houses, olive trees, crushing dreams. He might see fools flying featherless birds shedding shrapnel and white fire. He might hear overloaded donkey carts squealing, moaning like mothers of itty-bitty bloody bodies piled on them. Bodies later stuffed in ice cream freezers to slow their rotting. Bodies so shredded, even Cameron's surgeon mommy couldn't put their tiny arms, legs, and heads back together again. I spare my friend fractured fairy tales, crushing trucks like is thank you thank you um i've this i i, I want to let our audience know of course we are doing this as a way to bring attention to the abuses done to women and and girls as part of the international um program um, by the, the UN that looks at the theme of violence towards women and young girls and how do we eliminate that violence. And to hear the poets read is a gift because it's a reminder of one of the ways we can do be of service is to draw attention to this. And thank you, Raymond. Thank you, everyone, who's drawing attention. Our next poet is Brianna Munoz. She's a writer from Southern California. She's the author of Loose Lips, a poetry collection published by Prickly Pear Publishing. Her work has been published in the Dryland Literary Journal, in Boundless, the anthology of the, of the, Rio, Grande, the Rio Grande Valley International Poetry Festival, 
and in the Oaken Arts Review, among others. Hi, how are you doing, Brianna? I can, thank you. I'm doing well. Uh, it's a little. Oh, um, it, is your sound okay? Um, I, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. Yes, now I can hear you. Okay, great, great. Well, I'm just happy you're here. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thank, thank you for organizing. Um, and thank you, all poets so far, um, for sharing your celebra today. Um, I'll just do one poem. It's uh, titled Tongue Your Truths, and it is um, in my forthcoming collection titled Everything is Returned to the Soil. It is not enough to just speak your truths. You must shout them. You must sing them into sky and storm and sow them into soil to create showers of lightning bolts that electrocute epiphany into the chests of those around you. Speak them in a way that other begin others begin to memorize them, in a way that others compare your truths to their truths. Spit out hesitation and doubt like a wet loogie. You must analyze them under microscope, analyze them from the four directions and beyond. Glawitzlampa, Witzlampa, Siwitzlampa, Miklampa. Purge them from soul and body and mind. Your truths should be told in languages understood by all tongued into dialect, danced into visual arts. Your truths should be exhausted, wrestled every day, held in a chokehold, dehydrated, performed like pageant queens or show ponies, filing claims to HR for exploitation, ridden like burrows at border towns, realized during hot baths or meditation. Your truths should be sharp like the edges a fenced wire that skating scoundrels hop over in attempt to outrun the cops. Your truth should never be muffled, should never be held under tongue to keep the boat from rocking. Uh, your truth should wreak havoc against the narrow-minded and obsolete, should know no color, no sex, no class or age, your truth should be jarred and opened on your difficult days like ladybugs, penned aggressively, carved into bathroom stalls or tree bark, swallowed, swished from right cheek to left cheek like red wine. Your truth should never fell out. Your truth should be rooted beneath flesh under rib, but they should grow and extend like the breath of Abuelita's pomegranate tree and the receding and crashing of the saltwater sea. Your truth should exist, resist, and long live. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's a reminder that the importance of speaking your truth, because that can be very healing, very healing. Our next poet is Peggy Morrison. And I want to give a shout out to Peggy because Peggy has a good memory. I was so overwhelmed with work 
And then Peggy said, Kim, we're doing this, remember? <laughs> we're doing the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. And Peggy, thank you for waking me out of my stuff, out of whatever I was in and reminding me of this very important day. So I'm very appreciative. Now, Peggy is a California writer who grew up in Long Beach, then raised her daughter, Kima, in Watsonville while working as a bilingual teacher. She now lives and works in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she's the author of a wonderful book of poetry called Mom Says, published in 20, uh, 2020. Um, <laughs> I almost said 1920. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for reminding me, and thank you for being here, Peggy. Thank you, Kim. And I must say you did a dazzling job of organizing the reading and it's so in two days. <laughs> it's so amazing to see what a great organizer you are and you know, your communication skills and how much how everyone responded to you. And thank you everyone for sharing your, your work. I'm honored to be among you and I have a few pieces to share. The first is called Patron Saint. The world saw her fat and her hair fly away, saw a foreigner, a peasant woman, saw she did not belong, saw she was soft and hurt her because of that, squeezed her with rough pliers, threw her away, pushed her aside, loved her softness for a moment and then found it dull. All the world did not see her sharp mind, her relentless courage, her power, as she spent herself to hold body and soul together, protect us, protect her children, pay the rent in the light bill, penny pinch, and be looked down upon by the arrogant, sacrifice, have no way out, the whole machinery hurt my mother, the machinery that made it her fault, the low pay for the smart work she did, her precise calculations, her work bought, the low rent house, desperate tears, desperate decisions, fear, prayers to St. Jude, the saint of hopeless causes, to be a woman in a machinery of want. Me duele la paciencia. It hurts, la paciencia. Porque mi mamá aguanta todo, todo y demasiado, y que lo aguante por mí. Ella, una mujer aterrada, ojos hinchados y la cara tensa, que no pagó el bill y que the check bounce, y que nos van a quitar la luz. Los tenis tienen agujeros otra vez y en la misa la miran. Una mujer desgraciada. Hasta sus hermanas la daban su caridad despreciándola. Cuidándonos por piedad y despreciándonos en sus casas grandes, con los carros nuevos, mientras mi mamá lloraba después del trabajo. Cansada, en la casita rentada. Verde me la recuerdo. Y mientras, nosotros también llorábamos. Quiero mi papá, todos abrazándonos. And here's the translation. Patience. 
It's unbearable to see her doing whatever it takes, making it through for the kids' sake. Anxious eyes, tense face. She didn't pay the bill and the check bounced and they're gonna turn off the gas and electric yellow notice on the door. She's trying to make ends meet. My kickball tennis have holes in the toes again. Sunday mass, they look at her, a woman who couldn't keep her man, disgraced. Even her sisters despise her, a charity case, babysitting us out of pity and obligation, looking down on us from their big houses with their new cars while my mom cries after work, tired in the little rented house, green I remember, and we cried too. I want my daddy all hugging each other. When my mom says, beauty must suffer, we are in the kitchen. I'm standing squished between the washer and the ironing board with my head leaning into my mom's soft chest. She is ironing my dad's white dress shirt with a starched collar and tiny buttons. And she is stopping for a quick minute to braid my waist-length hair. It is about 7.30 a.m. and sunlight comes in the window over the kitchen sink. My mom is pulling each braid tight to catch up the wispy hairs near my temple, so tight that she bends my neck and my eyes are pulled into slits. So I cry, ouch, it hurts, stop it. And mom says, beauty must suffer. This is the wrong house. I jump from the bed trying to get away, crash my quadriceps full into the corner of the cedar hope chest that was my mom's. Felt a deep bruise forming, but nothing is visible. The thigh, ordinary flesh. My head hurts and I feel numb. Resources are low, but one has to keep feeling to make a revolution can't shake the sense that this is the wrong house, not the one I intended to spend myself building. And yet, where else is home? Who is family? And I wanna end with this piece called Beach Street, Watsonville. On school days, I drive my turquoise 65 Chevy Vega 2 station wagon on Beach Street, a straight shot into town past a couple of miles of black and green lettuce fields. One Saturday, I travel the same road on my rusty bicycle, a slower pace, watching the fields where so many people moved hunched over the earth early at work. Ahead, I see two farm worker women at break time talking as they sit on the bank of the ditch, half filled with water that separates the road from the field. They are wearing high-necked, long-sleeve shirts, cloth tennis shoes, worn, muddy jeans. Bandanas cover their dark hair, eyes squinting against the dust and sun, straightening their backs for a few minutes while they eat their bag lunch, looking at the road. I break the monotony of their view and they notice my approach. 
One woman catches my eye, and her eyes meet across the mud, asphalt, and the dusty air. Exchange a silent greeting. She signals by tilting her face nods to direct my attention to the other side of the road. I catch in my peripheral vision something flutter white. A snowy egret lifts into flight. The women and I turn together, catch our breath by the egret's churning grace. Thank you so much. I just have to say, I am like in awe today. The beauty of the poetry that we are hearing, it opens the heart. And once again, I want to also remind our audience that this is the first. November 25th is the first day of this year's International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. will mark the launch of 16 Days of Activism. That will conclude on December 10th, which is International Human Rights Day. You know, we're doing this, but think about it. There's something you can do that you think might make a difference, whether it's donating funds to groups that help women who have been treated in a manner that is devastating or they've been abused or you find some way to make a difference. If it is one person that you help, that makes a difference. We are all connected. And events or items like this help to remind us that we are connected. And if one person is suffering, then we are all suffering in some manner. Our next poet is Tarita McHale. She's a story medicine woman. And she is called an activist for holism, is a Shigong energy therapist, lyricist, executive director of the Tree of Life Foundation Literacy Health Project. And she has published over 70 student anthologies of poetry for at-risk youth via California poets in the schools throughout the San Francisco, Alameda, Contra Costa, and Jefferson Unified School Districts since 1989. She's also featured poet storyteller for the Black Panthers anniversary. So she was for the Black Panthers anniversary. Hi, how are you doing, Tarita? Tarita? Okay. You got okay. Okay, I can hear you. Okay, very good. Okay, thanks. Um, wow. The. It's always a, a joy to listen and hear and just uh, take in. And uh, wow. So I have two pieces. First piece has three sections. This is called her sermon on the mount. God, he, God, he, God, he, God, he, God, God is good all the time, all the time, all the time. God is good all the time, all the time, all the time. He watches over us, watches over us, take care of us. He watches over us, watches over us. He, he watches over us. He, he, he 
he watches over us. He, he, he watched them take my baby. He watched them rape my baby. He watched them lynch my baby, butcher my baby, burn my baby, drown my baby, bottomize my baby, jail my baby, traffic my baby, imprison my baby. God, God, God works in mysterious ways. Yes, he does. He works in mysterious ways. God, he, 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 he good. He good. He good all the time. God, he, he good all the time, all the time. He, he watched them commit genocide on my babies, kidnapping our babies, trafficking our babies. I told you he trafficked our babies, raping our babies, hanging our babies, lobotomizing our babies, shooting our babies for an offering of sacrifice for their sins. Cause we born broken, don't you know? We born broken. God, he, he, he good. He good. He good all the time. All the time. God, he's good all the time. My country, tis of thee. One nation under, he, 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 he good. Shh. Quiet child. That God switched habitat for humanity off long ago. He demands insanity. Insanity run his warship, cut stars from sky, commands we rely on his word, his will be done, not hers, because God is not into earth, women, children, water, womb, baptism, nor is he into sun, moon, reasons to season the seed cooked just right, her mathematics unholy, her knowledge of sin in this garden. Only he can be righteous. Are you listening, child? Your prayer ends with a man. A group of men cast monotheistic charms, absolving one another from fault without end. It is coming to a close, but know this, child. Dog is man's best friend, not woman. Don't you see? The anadrome for dog is God. Whether coming or going, this spell tells you to sit, heal, fetch, stay down, bitches, and wonder not why you're treated worse than. What is blasphemy? What does it look like? Behave? Who pronounced judgment? What epistemic rims support the gate of this castle? Which membrane allows certain things in or certain things out for its good? Who will it serve? And then my last piece is fairly short. Memories wing. And this is from uh, the book Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine that came out this year. We ride ghostly caverns, red iron silt, navel to navel, ship to shore, sunlight winds, wind, tomb to womb, womb to tomb. Moon ties nine times parting waters in House of Hearts. Read omnipotent breed breathes horns born blood memory. Records symphonies time without end. Fin feet feather deed seeds living trust. 
magnifying miracles, Hollywood names, chariots that let us ride. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I feel, honestly, I feel honored just to be here listening to you all. Thank you. Sharita, that was amazing. Yeah, thank you. Our next poet is Carla Brundridge. She's a Bay Area-based poet, activist, and educator with a passion for social justice. Carla is a board member of the Before Columbus Foundation, which provides recognition and a wider audience for the wealth of cultural and ethnic diversity that constitutes American writing. She holds an MA in education from San Francisco State University and an MFA from Mills College. Oh, and, and Carla, could you let us know you just had a book come out? Um, could, could you also mention that? Oh, um, sure. Um, my book that's out most recently actually features some of the people in here, Colossus Home. It's something I edited um, and all the funds go to uh, Moms for Housing, and you can find us. Um, our website is Colossus510. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. I have a small series of poems on the theme of date rape and one poem, on, hopefully, on empowerment. Mm-hmm. So I'll just get into it. Okay. One drop rule. Is the propensity to be raped inherited? Statistics say yes. Read the bodies of the women in my family. Uncover, naked, should I explain? Great Grandma Charlotte murdered. Grandma Lottie, what did she witness? Mama Kay, by gunpoint. Me. It was between friends. Where do we log the names of those whose bodies have been violated? Hips pressed against wailing wall. Quadroon. Fragments of bloodlines. She walks the quad before sun rises. Flashes of memory. Shoulders squeezed between angry thumbs. She desired to be held, but not held down. Muffled scream, a bang on the door, locked in. Now she weaves her way home, hair matted in semen. Cold prickles shiver her bare thighs. Night's sequined dress, a drape. What is betrayal and how did it change you? It comes from that which you love most. Surprise slice of a knife, razor in the tub, a slip when chopping tomatoes. In darkness, asleep in the warm bed of trust, dogs come for your flesh. Eyes watch and wait, icicle to the heart, A skinny girl stands naked on the stage. Lights shine on her bare skin. Who are you and whom do you love, black woman? 
My heart is at the dog's belly, lying in the street, blood. No one returned to pick it up. A man with curly brown hair, dead. A silver heel, slamming of metal doors. I went home that night and all the glasses fell off the shelves. You could see right through me to the other side. I told you not to go there, daughter said. So, you know, women, we learn how to um, survive. And only recently I was actually sitting in my yard talking with Wanda and Mama Makita. And um, I came up with this poem, which I'm pretty happy about. I feel like it's kind of empowering. And since we're fighting to stop violence against women, I'll end with this one. It's called Emotional Problems and Mean Girl Skills. I got mean girl skills. The ability to kick your ass when you mess with my girls. Call in the troops, frying pan, hot grits. Slam the door. Take your stuff out on the porch in the rain. I got mean girl skills. Call the teacher out on her racism. Leave the restaurant when the waitress ignores you. Talk loud when I want. I got mean girl skills. Thank you. I don't see that as mean girl skills. I see that as basically being an assertive black woman. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. We've got to basically say our piece. Um, our next poet, as Wanda was just recently mentioned by Carla, and Mar Wanda is a journalist and author. She moonlights as a college professor in Alameda, California. For 30 years, one of her many literary events has been hosting the first Saturday every February from 1990 to 2020 at the West Oakland Library, a celebration of African-American writers and their poetry. She's a co-founder of Mayafa, San Francisco Bay Area. It's in its 25th season, October 2020. And I want to say it's, Wanda, what you've done to remind us of our heritage as African-American um, is, is just beautiful. And that you've kept it up for 25 years is a testament to your commitment. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Kim. Well, Carla, since you, um, you did the holler, you know, about the Mean Girls, I will start with, with that particular poem and, and work my way backwards. I have three pieces. Night Rain, one. We are the girls who get up when pushed down, shake off the pain and keep walking, ignoring the blood dripping from ripped shirt, taking off the offensive item, our shame in the dirt where we drop it, in the dust. The clouds are placed to hide until we can remember where we placed our hearts, too. We are the girls to grit our teeth, to keep our tongues from jumping out of mouths, we are so full of ourselves, we have to open channels so that we don't explode. We levitate, fly, and try to remember boundaries, human boundaries, limitations and rules, adults press like gravity, when we're into grace and gratitude and escape. Three, 
We are the girls who don't have addresses, girls you can't find, girls you better appreciate now because you blink and it might be forever. We are that impossible to grasp, hold, destroy. Four, destruction, that is a problem. We are the girls who abhor reformation. We like flying instead of walking, leaping and singing instead of sleeping. We lay me down to sleep when we die and not a second before. We too busy thinking and plotting and planning our future to doze off. Five, we the girls who get sent to the office, learn to smoke cigars with the principal and blow smoke and laughter in teachers' faces. We are the smart girls. We are the girls who figure it out long before the answer is discovered. We only ask for a small royalty cut. We are the girls who know her worth and make the world pay and pay and pay. We're not taking any checks, no. Gold and silver and pearls, we like to trade. Six, we are the mean girls. We are the girls that will cut your throat before you think about cutting ours. It's easier that way because we are the kind of girls you either love or hate. The binary is hella clear. We step over the dead, burying our secrets with the slain. We travel light and don't allow hitchhikers. We are not into charity, and well, if we have enough to share, we probably won't. Yeah, we that girl. Seven, we hard cause we learn drinking formula, the formula. Even family is unreliable. Family can hurt you worse than an enemy. Something about the blood, the way family organs are stitched together along a seam, carry a seam ripper and amputate it before it atrophies. A prosthesis is better than gangrene. Cut your losses, talk mean, cause the world ain't feeling no pussycat. Wear your armor cause the armor gets respect and respect spends a lot further than kindness. Fear is an even better deal, but fear is hard to sustain. Ammunition is expensive, and then you need a firing range and ducks. Eight, we are the girls who give birth to themselves, who never had a mama, who don't miss what they never had. Nine, mean girls make it rain, so carry an umbrella. 10, we are the girls who live in cars, who walk the streets, who ride BART all night, who, whose looks will rip your heart out. We are the girls wishing for a bit of peace, but all we find is trouble. We are the girls who call home and hang up before there is an answer. We are the girls who erase memories and feel so alone. We are the girls who can't forget and can't forgive. We are the mean girls, tough and strong and invincible, between layers insecurely latched. We admit, mean girl is a persona that can't last. Reflection on pain. I am a domestic violence survivor. The malady, a post-slavery relic, doesn't skip generations. I watched my father hit my mother. The term beaten doesn't quite reflect what I recall. My mother resisted, just as her embodied mothers did as well. The idea of family, something she desired, kept pulling her back until she finally left. When mama left my father, brother, and me, the terror did not stop. We were also slapped, hit, beheaded. At 19, I left one evening with my head in one hand 
packed bag in the other and stepped into a worse horror. A bed I couldn't vacate until buzzards circled my door as the black widower departed. I was 29 then. That ex-husband morphed into several other fatalities. I kept marrying my father over and over again until now. I just keep my distance from any intimate relationships. All Muslim men, Sufi, Nation of Islam converts to Sunni, emancipated and still shackled. They are no good, none of them. 40 years ago, I asked the imam at the Muslim center I attended if we could host a circle for women survivors of domestic violence. He agreed and said I could host it. But I didn't want to host it. I just wanted to attend one. I I'd still like to attend such a circle composed of not women born outside America, rather women raised Muslim from the Nation of Islam forward. Women who have had lots of ayats shoved down their throats, ayats or verses that condone male violence against women. Beat her lightly. She deserved it. Men are the caretakers of women. You may dislike a thing that brings about a great deal of good, all from the Quran. I didn't have anywhere to run. I asked. I looked for announcers along an underground railroad. There were no safe houses, no shelters, no abolitionist movement. My father told me a woman's place is with her husband. I should have expected such a response, but I didn't. So I stayed with the abuser until I had a job that could support me and my two daughters. Three long, scary years. I just wanted to get away before they too bore witness and became trapped in memories nightmares haunting me to date. I don't think they suffered such abuse in their relationships. I don't think they have suffered such abuse in their relationships, but I can't say the same for their children. Perhaps such violence lies dormant like a sleeper cell and gets triggered in certain circumstances. I have experienced physical and emotional abuse. I think the emotional abuse is worse because it is here that the insidious manipulation happens. The wounds invisible so that one thinks she imagined such. This is what the perpetrator wants us to believe. Sisters, the wounds are real, indecision, self-doubt, low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, suicide. I keep a therapist employed. I think this is why I'm still alive and functional 41 years after the first time I was hit, pregnant with my first child. It was at Lake Merritt in Oakland. I was sitting in a swing by the bird sanctuary. And this is my last one. And it's a warning to pedophiles and other cowards. Sweet on her. I used to believe in forgiveness until he hurt you. Now I just want him to feel pain, broken legs and torn limbs and tongue ripped from mouth then sewn back again to be ripped out again and again, like Sisyphus pushing rocks up hills only to roll back down again. I don't care if he was hurt too and that hurt people hurt people. This isn't true. All of us have been hurt and not all of us robbed children of their innocence. I hate him. Yes, I really do. If I saw him, I might forget myself, forget that I have given vengeance, to the Christian God and tried unsuccessfully to let it go. Platitudes, let go and let God. Who believes this? I don't anymore. 
I just want him to feel pain, and even then, it will never equal your life taken. He is better off dead. So lucky I didn't see him when I was looking for him. Gun loaded, I was planning to empty it into the shell that is his frame. But he skipped work that evening and then escaped. He escaped sentencing, too, perhaps even blame. It's that forgiveness thing. But I don't forgive him. I will never forgive him. He should be happy that I'm not God and that I am not responsible for his soul because it would be kindling, burning and burning and burning, his eyes screaming, mouth silenced like my baby when she is sober, when she is alone. There's nothing he can say ever to mend the life he broke, the child he robbed of all her goodness, or at least she thinks so. And so she gives away what's left to scavengers. They circle her, sniff her blood I wish were his. But he has escaped for now. Responsibility for a life squandered. This is not the end. He will have to look over his shoulder for the rest of his life. Just in case I start believing in God's grace. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. And thank you for your words. Um, hopefully there's a person listening to this who is experiencing some of the same things. They will get help. There is always help. And, I, you know, what everyone has been saying today is so powerful. I think I've been crying <laughs> just to hear these, these words. It's a reminder that we have so much work to do to heal ourselves and to heal our communities. Thank you, Wanda. Our next poet is Avacha. She's a card-carrying, New York-born music fanatic, sound junkie, and a popular Bay Area radio DJ. She is a lifelong musician, writer, educator, and storyteller who's been published in English and Spanish in the U.S., Mexico, and Europe. Avacha is an award-winning poet and multi-instrumentalist and a popular Bay Area radio personality with the group titled Avacha and Modupe. And they're just incredible. They um, won the Bay Area Blues Society Jazz Group of the Year in 2005 and 2010. How are you doing, Avacha? I'm, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed, folks, just what can I say? Woo! And I don't know, Wanda must have been reading my mind because... I'm going to touch that same subject, and no, I don't forgive them either. So this first one is called A Screaming Silence or Every, Every Teacher's uh, Worst Nightmare. Little Liliana sat in the back of the class. I say she always sat in the back of the class, such a pretty girl. Smart as she was pretty and as distant as the planet Mars, she never looked into my eyes, and I... I never knew quite what to say. I mean, what do you say when all you can see is what remains of the pain and the years drowned by tears and the secrecy, the secret, her secret? Frankie was just a little boy, an almost perfect little boy, strangely beautiful, quiet, and shy. He wore a silence so loud it screamed. Frankie never seemed to laugh or play, and even though he'd never let me get too close, he'd always sort of sneak up on me and rub his face against my arm, then run away when I try to touch his shoulder and hide behind his terrible secret, that secret, and it hurt. 
I say it hurt because I never knew what to say, what to do. What do you do? How do you take the pain away from a silence so loud you could hear the hidden tears? How do you expose the unspoken, the unspeakable, invisible, ever-present hidden monsters, stolen innocence hidden in the shadows of too many dirty secrets, stolen childhood hidden behind the pain of too much undeserved shame? Sometimes their helplessness hurts so much, burns like a red-hot branding iron, and I want to scream for them, cry for them, fight for them, and publicly undress all those monsters who seem to have nothing better to do than to put out the lights in our children's eyes and turn what should be beautiful lives into lifetimes of nightmares. Trying to teach sometimes can be a frightening thing when all you can feel is all the feeling these children have learned to disown, a terror so strong you can feel the buried fear hidden behind the blank deadness of their eyes, eyes that have forgotten how to cry, eyes of a child who's seen way too much, been felt up too much and touch on so much they finally shut down and turn off at the thought of any kind of touch and her learn how not to feel anything at all and it hurts. I say it hurts so bad because I still don't know what to say, what to do. How do you take the pain away from a silence so loud you can hear the hidden tears? How do we expose the unspoken, the unspeakable, and pull, or pull off the invisibility, the pretty masks that cover whatever we don't want to see? Why can't we call these hidden monsters by their names and stop playing games? It's time to free up all the little boys and girls before they get forever lost in the cesspool before they've been completely destroyed, it's time we tear down the walls and let these children know they're not alone and that what happened was not their fault. Their only crime was a beauty so powerful that the evil and the beast could not sleep till that beauty was reduced to a horrible level of filth and ugliness, a feeling as ugly and cold as the hole that once housed a molested soul. I say it's time. It's time for this emotional prison to fall and expose its insanity for just what it is, a sickness that's older than dirt, a madness that causes nothing but hurt and throws some very serious light on the world's worst and most violent, most damaging, and most well-hidden secret. Ay, Dios. And it's so sad when you, co you, you learn to recognize the, the, the signs every time you go into the classroom and one of these children comes in and then they're either over-sexualized or completely dead, you know, emotionally brain dead. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just horrible. And you're just left. And I still cry every time I think about it. This one is called The Wasteland of Tastelessness. When a so-called, uh, one of the, the poetic literary, literati decided that uh, I, he was going to do me the favor of... Uh, of integrating my life, a wasteland of tastelessness. Did it ever enter your mind how tiring it's become having to dance around your unanswered intentions? I need to know, in what hallucinatory, irrational vision were you given the permission to touch me? I'm tired of living life fighting to keep my dignity afloat and not get locked into cursing you out each and every time you assume it's your right to put your hands on me always going out of your way to touch my leg like it was your God-given right to. I say I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting, but I'm not going to act a fool and lose my soul because of jumping in your face and cooling you out of your name. Though I got to let you know in no uncertain terms that there's going to be a snowstorm in hell before I allow myself to get cooled up in the crudeness of your rudeness. 
or fall into the trap of your unanswered flattery. God knows I don't want to play with you. And I have absolutely no intention of sinking and drowning and getting all lost in the tasteless wasteland of your unrelenting lust. I want to know if it ever occurred to you that there might actually be a brain above what you've imagined between my legs, or did you just choose to remain drunk on sleazy X-rated schemes, dreams usually born when thinking with the wrong head, intoxicated, completely wasted on overrated delusions of unquestionable prowess and fantastic fantasies of conquest, or has your vision gotten completely cloudy from staring too long through the deceptive smoke screen of your own jism? So sad you've never given yourself a, a, a real look on the inside. You've never grown past the scam and the only real time that you've ever really listened to any of my poems or really heard anything else I had to say was on one of those many days when you were trying to find another way of working your way into my bed. So sad. The only time you took the time to see me above my waist was during some far-out delusion, one more wet dream about some horny, hot-blooded colored girl panting ecstatically, willingly, and joyfully captured, enraptured beneath your irresistible passion, blissfully locking up my own self under the weight of your prison, the prison of your embrace. I wonder if it doesn't, if you ever notice, or does it even matter? Did it ever enter your mind just how this fantasy could cost you so much once upon a time, there was a time when all you had all my respect and knowing you would have been a, considered the highest of honors, knowing you, poet to poet, as just another serious artist, a writer whose words will always sing like music, but I want no part of your touchy-feely dancing, whatever it's worth. The crassness of your actions has destroyed every chance of ever being able to call this very, very, very pissed-off sister any kind of friend. And... uh Real short one here. It's called Madness on MacArthur. This happened one night on the way to a poetry reading. Uh, it was at Bluesville, and I was looking forward to, you know, looking forward to having this thing happen. And I stopped at a gas station here in Oakland. It's called Madness on MacArthur. It was just a gas station, and I needed some gas. It was a weird scene. Looked like there were more bicycles and cars riding around the gas pumps. There was something sleazy about the place, but I thought, oh, well, what the hell? I'm just going to get my gas and get the hell out of here. I had no idea. I had just driven into Nightmare Alley. I thought I'd seen anything and everything. thought nothing could surprise me, but pimps on bicycles that were as old as they were on, no way. These jokers had token taken the low life to a whole new level. I couldn't believe the shit. Broken down, bicycle riding, pimps, middle-aged, washed-up wannabes, and a few young understudies. Suckers so played out they couldn't even catch a cold in a snowstorm. I thought it was some kind of joke, some kind of male menopausal ritual. Knew they were selling wolf tickets and gorilla chips, talking trash out the side of their necks. Knew the crap coming out their mouths couldn't be the real deal. Bicycle riding, pimps, and filthy clothes and mouths full of gold. How low can you go? And they had the nerve to be proud of it and jump bad and be loud about it. Bragging, bragging, bragging about riding the ab, checking on their big-time moneymakers. I almost choked to death trying not to fall out laughing until I noticed all the action on the corner, and I choked. I say I choked as my laughter drowned in my tears as my eyes fell on these two little girls. I say two little girls strutting the whole store like it was the only home they'd ever known. Two, two little girls younger than my grandsons wearing these frontless, backless, bottomless, topless, evening straps. And I, I wondered, 
Why on earth would these two pretty little girls risk their lives and walk the chilly streets half naked in the middle of the night, selling themselves to no-count tricks old enough to be their father, throwing away their childhood for some bike-riding Casanovas who were old enough to be their father? Or maybe they just lost their way while they were out there looking for their fathers. Have you seen them? ask you, have you ever seen them? Have you seen them? I think we better start looking for them before all these kids wind up even more lost than he is. Thank you for your ears. I'm going to put our poetry series in the, in the chat, and thank you for sharing all your wonderful words with, with me and each other. And I hope that some people, especially people, children out there who've been molested have heard it and know that some of us recognize what's happening and tell somebody quick. And, yes, please, if you are... Anyone you know is in that situation, talk to people. Do not hold it in. This is why this is important. What we're doing today is important. But the words of Avacha and so many have talked about, they've had these experiences. We've all talked to a woman who tells us 20 years later she was molested as a child, but she never told because she was afraid. And that's why. The International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is so important. And please know that this is the first day of 16 days of activism, 16 days of activism where you can do things and they'll recognize you're not alone. There are people who are working on this issue. You can go to the UN it's uh, you. You can just look up. Just go to International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. You can see activities or learn about ways that you can join in to talk about these issues that are so important to all of us healing. Can I add something on that? As a teacher, mm-hmm. one of the things that horrified me is when we uh, other teachers or students would report it. They would call the parents in, and those parents were the people who were molesting the kids. So, I mean, that's got to stop. I mean, if a child says something, trust you enough to say something, please do something. That's all I can say. Yes, yes. Thank you, Avacha. Thank you for your words. Our next poet is is wonderful. He's a Pushcart-nominated poet, Rich Ferguson. He shared the stage with Patti Smith, the great Wanda Coleman, Moby, and other esteemed poets and musician. He is a featured performer in the film, What About Me?, featuring, I believe, Michael Stipp. I may be pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, Michael Franti, Katie Lang, and others. His poetry and award-winning spoken word music videos have been widely anthologized, and he was a winner in the Opium Magazine's Literary Death Match in Los Angeles. Uh, Hi, how are you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's such an honor to be here with everyone. So thank, thank you, everyone. Remember when we shared the same breath and were one? When we shared a language that defied hungry ghosts or when we swam together in wild waters that could not drown us? Since our fall from grace, we have lost kinship with innocence. We have experienced so many variations of original sin that its taste has become 
far, far from original. These paradises we have burned and abandoned have collapsed into a garden of Eden now bleeding a complex geometry where parallel lines of love and consideration contend with irrational proportions of emotional, physical neglect and constriction. Non-complementary angles of sexism versus fairness, those seeking domination battle it out with those seeking collaboration in the multi-dimensional arena of our human condition. When seeking union between the sexes, one must learn to transform opposition into empowerment, cruelty into congruency, create ratios of respect, equilateral equality, a more perfect circle of the sexes, one that unifies, strives to heal this wound of being human, for we are quick to anger, slow to heal, dragging our inner rivers for the body of evidence that can free us from the gridlocked and mind-locked madness of our garden of Eden now bleeding, the place where one confuses the highly personal with the universal, retunes enlightenment to a TV reality where we can't stop looking at our cell phones even when in the presence of redemption in our garden of Eden now bleeding, hear the gunfire and continual cry of sirens, witness our struggles to grow beyond our insanities and instabilities, new bones sprouting from old burdened psyches, surviving alley fights with a world gone rogue, carving weapons sharp enough to protect us from the dangers in this garden of Eden now bleeding, that we may one day untether ourselves from this mothership of mayhem, float off into harmonic stardust, witness ourselves in the cracked mirror moon, realizing that despite it all, we have the potential to become beautiful and unbroken, that beyond our garden,